When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. another episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas i'm grant and i'm ethan and if you are listening to us for the first time welcome to the good music podcast and if you like what you hear at the end of the episode go ahead and subscribe if you've been around for a while hit us up on instagram and facebook and send us uh any bands that you'd like to hear about next but if you would consider yourself a prime lover of good music like we are Go to our Patreon. The link is in the description of the episode. Become a donor, and then you will get access to our fourth segment, which is After Hours, where we talk about the six worst songs that we feel like that artist is, and then we debate and talk about it. Because if you love good music, you probably also love listening to and critiquing bad music like we do. But Lucas, I you, have, you have some news. Yes, I do. We actually um, we got a really awesome message from a fan that I've I've seen active on um, on Instagram, uh, liking our posts and viewing our stories. Um, and I just I got a really heartwarming message from um, a fan of ours named Lauren that um, said that she had recently started listening to us and that even in that short time um, it's become something to where she was able to share what we do with her uncle who was unfortunately struggling with cancer and mm. passed away a couple weeks ago. Ugh, and sucks. Um, I know it's, it's 2020 has just overall been a rough year for mon- many different reasons, but you know, it's when I first started this podcast, my only intention, in fact, the only thing that I ever thought would ever come of it was just that I would get to have some kind of outlet for all of this seemingly useless information that I've accumulated in my brain, as well as hopefully be able to um, instruct people about music and introduce them to some new music. I never really thought that I would, you know, be part of a a significant part of someone's life or being kind of part of such a huge experience like that. And 
it's really humbling. It's kind of is a big perspective uh, shifter. It's definitely a sign of, hey, guys, let's let's keep doing this because mm. something more is happening than just talking about music. There's there's something about music. It's the reason why we all love it. It it, it brings people together. It gives us outlets for our emotions it allows us to kind of connect to something that's deep within us all there's there there truly is something magical about music you kind of it's almost unquantifiable you can't really express it in words but you can feel it mm-hmm. and i think that um it was just it was really touching to hear and something that uh, Lauren had requested of us is that her uncle's favorite artist was Bruce Springsteen, and so who we've talked about uh, doing before. We've talked about Bruce. Springsteen yeah, it was he's he's one of those inevitable ones. It's yeah. like, of course, we'll do a Springsteen episode at some point. He's at that level of you know greatness. Um, but I hadn't had it officially on the calendars yet. But we're gonna officially. Uh, put him on and get him going soon in fact as soon as i'm done in my current research i'm jumping straight on it and we're gonna get uh an episode for that in january so um that's all thank you thank you lauren for the yeah thank you lauren for the for the message thank you for the request as well as thank you for becoming our newest patron we like to um, personally welcome all of our new patrons to the family. So just all around, thank you so much for, for following us, for listening to us and for being a fan and for reaching out to us and kind of sharing us your story that this is a, um, a call to anyone that, that has a story. Um, We love to hear from you guys. We love to hear your requests. We want to know kind of, you know, what your experience with the good music podcast is it's it's really encouraging to to hear um, kind of just what everyone's going through. Mm-hmm. So um, now we'll go ahead and move on into the main topic of this episode. A band that, if you've listened to our After Hours, was one that um, was kind of going to be a little bit up in the air if uh, our two co-hosts were going to enjoy it or not. But I had faith, and um, I think that we're going to end up having a really, really great episode here. So, Ethan, who are we talking about? Today, we are talking about My Chemical Romance. Yes, our first uh, stop into the emo territory of music. If you're anything like me, and you have heard of My Chemical Romance, um, I feel like My Chemical Romance gets really hard pegged into a genre. Yes. Like, like I feel like My Chemical Romance is like the nickelback of emo. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I would say probably... <laughs> Uh, Fallout Boy fits that's that fair. description a little better. Oh, that's fair. That's like, like a which, compliment to like, Nickelback. But like, whenever My Chemical Rom- Romance's name gets thrown out, like it, I feel like it automatically like draws a line in the sand with with people, mm-hmm. where it's like, 
they are so genre defining that mm-hmm. whenever you bring it up, their their name carries every other emo band <laughs> under their wing, and yeah, they are the genre. And so, I had very passively listened to them because it was almost impossible to not have heard or listened to them mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. we were coming up. Even if you didn't know it was them, like, you know, you were telling me you were going through something that was just like, oh, I've heard some yeah. of these before, but I had no idea it was them specifically. And so, right, right whenever we were talking about it in the after hours, whenever you said, hey, we're going to be doing My Chemical Romance, I, I automatically, that, like, line in the sand that their name draws and, and the what they what the band is automatically known for, I, I was kind of, like, already put off. But I would say after mm-hmm. after listening to the songs, again, we only talk about good music, except for in After Hours, but we only <laughs> we are only going to talk about good bands. And so mm-hmm. that's where I was like, well, I really don't... I, I feel like I'm not going to like them. But, I mean, they... I know of them for a reason, you know, and it's not for anything bad. Yeah. I want to I want to kind of start this episode off by just kind of talking about emo music in general. Because certainly at the time it was very much stereotyped and kind of it's one of those genres that if you're a gatekeeper that you kind of, you know, make fun of people that listen to it just kind of this is this is just for angsty teens if you're not a teen that hates his mom because he has to do chores then (laughs) you know then you this music has no use for you gatekeeper for what so gatekeeper gatekeeping is kind of a a fan term of just someone that has the authority to say that they know what the really good music is and they like to bash people that like I guess what you would call normie music mm. like think of someone that's a heavy metal gatekeeper they're gonna really make fun of you if you listen to a band like Metallica or Slipknot or uh, um, so it's like Disturbed kind of yeah, it's and and they'll say, you know, you're not a real metal fan unless you listen to, you know, Cryptic Slaughter or <laughs> um, you know, the really obscure but brutal and like cult metal bands. Mm. So, it's, you know, it gatekeeping is is a problem kind of no matter what genre you're in. You'll kind of always have the bands that you consider to be inferior because they're quote unquote sellouts. They're too commercial or, you know, those are that band's just for the wimps, the little kids, you know, they, they don't know about the, the real stuff. So emo, there are emo gatekeepers is what you're saying. I, I would say that the entire emo genre has kind of been gate kept by different, you know, I would say probably a lot by, you know, heavy metal guys or pop guys, just because there's, again, there's kind of a, um, there's a bit of a stigma around it. Whenever you think emo, you think of that goth kid that 
you know, was was the weird kid in school and you think that, oh, I bet every song is just about, you know, the world sucks and, you know, I want to kill myself and every everyone thinks that I'm weird. It's that's kind of that's what I always thought of whenever I thought of yeah. email and any time that I bring because I kind of started to do a little bit of a social experiment. I kind of was telling other people, hey, we're going to do an emo episode. And they were just like, emo, really? Mm hmm. And it's just there's definitely already a preconceived notion that mm -hmm. everyone has in their head. And the more I've kind of started to look into it, the more I've been like, you know what? Emo really doesn't deserve a lot of the crap that it's gotten. No. Um, obviously, every genre has their bad bands. And emo is no exception. But there is definitely a lot of good in there. And there's a lot of stuff that I think as, um, as time has gone on, some stuff has aged really well. I would say that probably my chemical romance has aged better than any other emo band. I would, I would agree from what it sounds like. I would agree. I, yeah, it's it's got it's got a bit more of a timelessness to it. I think that um, there's other emo bands that you can listen to, and just like this, you can tell exactly when this was recorded. This sounds very early to mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. You listen to My Chemical Romance and you're just kind of like, "You know what? This kind of this probably could have been made anytime." That brings me okay, to I think my first question is, I need I need you to give me some context on the emo genre as a holistic yes. unit. Like when when was it starting by year and then kind of when did chemical romance my chemical romance come into play i'm i'm gonna guess that so, nirvana's involved um no oh, actually really? i would say not okay emo pulls a lot more from punk it's it's an offshoot of punk music okay i would say that it's it's you you're looking at like you could say i guess the big band that really helped um, start the subgenre is Green Day, even though Green Day is not considered an emo band. They're close they enough to, are, emo to start it. Yeah, you could say the pop punk mo movement, which really got big in the 90s. When you have, because you had punk obviously really being mainstreamed in the 70s. 70s punk has a very specific sound and atmosphere to it. Then in the 80s, punk is pretty much all underground. There's no like big time popular punk acts. It's where you get hardcore punk that really kind of ends up having a lot of influence on different metal subgenres that were being birthed at that time. Because of hardcore, that's when you get stuff like grindcore, all of the core metal bands. You know, the metal core, the death core, the, all that can steam, stem from hardcore, which was in the 80s. Then you get to the 90s, and punk kind of has this rebirth, but it's not sounding like the punk in the 70s that was very anti-establishment. This punk definitely is almost built for radio, and that's where Green Day, 
uh, Blink-182 fits into this category. Um, you know, this tour, it's, it's, it's got the speed and the, the teenage um, kind of street sense to it, but it's not super um, downer and it's not super intense and violent. It's just more about teen angst. It's about growing up. It's about the things that your average teenager is going through. And as we probably are finding out, even more adults are continuing to have these um, these predicaments and things that they can relate to in these songs. Um, so when you get to the 2000s, that's kind of when the emo scene really starts to evolve. And My Chemical Romance was there pretty much at the beginning, although I would say that they really didn't become influential until probably about the mid 2000s you know your your early emo bands like fallout boy the reason why they're one of the biggest because they were kind of one of the first big breakout emo bands that was able to have some crossover success hmm. and so what you have is you've got you're borrowing from that pop punk um sound because it's very much pop at its roots. It's a, it's got that pop, and it's got that punk kind of nestled right at the center. But then around it, you've got a bit of a heavier edge. You've got a bit of a... Um, there's, there's definitely a sense of humor, but very much a self-deprecating. Like, you can, you can tell an emo band by the titles of their songs. Mm-hmm. Typically, their songs are trying to be, like, sarcastically funny. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, to, to talk about one of the songs that we're going to be talking about, a song like, I'm not okay, I promise. <laughs> That's a very emo song title. Um, so you've, you've, you've got this sense of humor, but at the same time, you've got this very deep emotional well that pop punk really doesn't delve into very often. Um, naked emotion is very much a integral part of the emo sound. It's whether that be joy or crippling sadness, you know, whatever, whatever emotion the songwriter is feeling it gets put into there unadulterated because they're trying to get their feeling across to whatever fans might also be feeling the same thing. Um, there's a very much a strong relationship between the artist and the, uh, the fans. It's, the emo and kind of the, all of the subgenres surrounding it really got a boost from MySpace, which for our younger audiences probably are not even don't even remember when MySpace was the thing before Facebook was. I never had a MySpace, but I was around people that did have a MySpace. And I remember how important it was to them. One of probably the MySpace's biggest legacy is all of the bands that got started because of it of bands posting their music because they were going outside of the, the industry yeah. Ease of um, access. way. It was, 
kind of yeah self-promotion and so they were able to get these huge followings just from their myspace accounts um this probably benefited the the more metal side of the emo scene more you know like your metal core your death core um those bands probably benefited the most from the myspace but your emo you're like you're that are more rock oriented um definitely benefited from myspace well so there's there's definitely this intimate relationship between the consumer and the uh and the creator and that's kind of always been at the center you can see it in the songwriting they are always very aware of their fans they're very aware of that their songs are for their fans and there's just there's a very strong relationship there and you know so you could say about 01 02s when it starts it really fell out of vogue around 07 just because at that time that was when it was really the last rock band oriented genre to kind of really be at the top of the mainstream because then after that, just rock in general really started to disappear. Emo was kind of its last, um, the last time that it was there. To where you're kind of, you've got these songs that are, you know, rock oriented that are at the top of the public consciousness. Mm. And My Chemical Romance certainly was there. Huh. So... Um, I think that again, emo needs to be reevaluated. I'm certainly and taking that stance after because I just I knew I didn't listen to emo when I was growing up, and I was the perfect age for it because I was in middle school and high school in the mid two thousands. So when all these songs were getting big, I was their target audience. <laughs> But I just, I was just a classic rock guy whenever I was growing up. I like didn't listen to anything modern except for maybe Coldplay or Muse or Mute Math. Um, but I remember having friends that were just like, oh, like my wife, when I told her she was doing, I was doing a mic, she was just like, oh, I loved them when I was in middle school. It made me feel like I was really edgy. <laughs> And I think that that was probably the initial grab, the initial attractiveness of it. And I think that that was smart packaging by the bands is that you lure them in with the image and what everyone probably defaults to in their minds. But the key is you want to get them to stick around. The way you get them to stick around is you make good songs. Mm -hmm. And the emo bands that have truly lasted and are still relevant today are the ones that wrote good songs. Hmm. And I just, I think to put a blanket statement, I, I feel the same way about new metal. I'm finding more and more new metal that I really like. And new metal also is a genre that just really gets crapped on by the elitists. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of one of those things. It's just like let's not make a blanket statement about an 
about a genre. It's I'm being challenged with this in so many different areas about even country and hip hop. I'm just like, I'm starting to find more and more things. Just like, you know what? I like this. I like this. I need to stop saying overall, this genre is bad or this style is bad. You know, there's always going to be good and bad in everything. But I think that if we, if we take things by a, a band by band or artist by artist case, you're going to find probably a lot of stuff in there that you would have never thought to listen to and then realize, wow, I'm really surprised. Like, I never listened to My Chemical Romance. I heard a couple songs, but after hearing this, my I'm very intrigued, and I'll save more of that for when we get to final thoughts. But I'm very, very happy that I pretty much on a whim decided to do an episode on them because i was just like hmm, this could be interesting so so you mentioned that their target audience was middle schoolers was that like the was that intended or is that just what ended up happening i think or like a combination mm, that could that that could be a a bit of a dangerous way to say that to say that they because that kind of almost cheapens. I think that that's definitely um, a byproduct of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that was their intent, we're going to get middle schoolers. I don't think that really anyone ever sets out to do that. I think that it definitely happened. Okay. But um, I think it was just – it was meant for anyone because – the the people in the bands were emos themselves right and i want to clarify for everyone whenever i use the term emo i'm not using it in a derogatory sense mm-hmm. i felt like i should um just kind of put that out there right from the get-go don't take that as me you know kind of using that i'm not using it as a diss mm-hmm. it's just it's just the the term for it and so, you know, these these guys really were the genre that they um that they played in. They weren't, you know, trying to appeal to a subgenre that they didn't belong to. And so, you know, there are older people, not just middle schoolers that you know, live the emo lifestyle. Mhm. So to say specifically that they were just going for middle schoolers, I think is selling them a bit short. Um, I, I apologize if that's how I made well, it sound. Well, I, just, I just was hoping you would have a clarification that would go along the lines of that. Yeah, I think that they were just, and really the, the truly good bands really don't have, I guess, a target audience they're going for. They're just making songs that they need to get out of them. Right. And it's it's the ones it's the bad bands that I think probably strategize more about you know oh this genre is really big right now let's jump on the bandwagon and try and appeal to those middle school kids that are really into this scene right now right the just the way you said target audience it made it sound more like it was a like they're trying to sell a product instead of making music you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I. But I. At the same time, I think they under, especially once the, um, they started to see who was listening to music. I think that there was definitely a, um, a mindfulness of going. Okay, let's let's kind of take the hand that we've been dealt and um, do the best that we can with it. Without compromising their own artistic yeah. you know, tendencies. I th- I think that um, I think that there's there's definitely a certain amount of um, strategy in used because again you they're able to bring them in with kind of this you know oh this is this is really edgy this is you know the look the way that everything um you know the the clothes that they're wearing the the artwork the makeup you know but then you kind of once you get into it you're just like oh there's much more to this than you know you're originally led to believe mhm So you mentioned like the the aesthetic stuff. Yeah. Was that a Green Day thing as well? Um it's, what do you mean by that? Well, you talked about like the the costumes and the makeup and the whole like get up and whatever. Like what what's the origin of that? Why is it the way that it is? Oh, uh, I mean, that's been that's people have been doing that since the 60s. Well, I mean, just like well, some genres don't do that as much yeah um, but emo it, it seems to be like they always got the the thick eyeliner and the you know whatever because that was just that was the that was vogue for the culture again emo is not just a musical style it's also um it's a mindset it's a fashion trend um okay it's it's more than just music I would say that probably emo culture was around before emo music was, or rather before emo music was labeled as emo music. It was probably more. And again, the, the people that made emo music were emos, or at least the good ones were. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm getting it now. I think okay. I think it's not necessarily it's these are how the they would have dressed anyway. At least starting out. I think that my chemical romance intentionally also really bumped up the theatrics of it all. They kind mm. of they kind of up played up to it, but it's not necessarily a thing of um oh we need to we need to dress this certain way. It was just, you know, that was the way they wanted to dress. All right. The so, same way, same way Metallica made a statement by just wearing jeans and, and t-shirts. I mean, really you could say that that is the look of thrash metal, but they, it yeah, started yeah, out. It started off with them. Just that's the way they wanted to dress. Motley Crue mm-hmm. dressed the way they wanted to dress, and it just happened to become the look of of hair metal. I got you now. I think I got you. It's okay. kind of it's it's a it is a case of what came first, the chicken or the egg, and it's maybe not as clear to define it, but that's that's what I believe is happening. Okay, so I'm interested in like 
how did the band actually get started? So at the core is two brothers. And that is um, vocalist Gerard Way and bassist Mikey Way. Hmm. So that's that's kind of that's kind of your um, your center. And then you also have um, Ray Toro, who is the lead guitarist, who's been with them the whole time. And uh, Frankie Arrow, who was who's pretty much been with them the whole time. He's their rhythm guitarist. He um, was not there in like the pre-first album days. But mm-hmm. he was asked to um, be a session guitarist on the first album, and then they liked him so much they're just like, "Well, why don't you just become a full member?" Mm-hmm. Nice. So he's been on every album. He's been with them pretty much the whole time. Um, and then they they the one area where they've kind of had a revolving door is with drummers. But. Okay. Um, pretty much just they they started off wanting to make a band and um, they uh, just kind of put together as something fun to do while they were um, it started off as Gerard he was kind of the, the main catalyst for getting the band started because he was in college and his brother was still in high school. And so he, um, he didn't initially include him as part of the part of the gig. And eventually his brother was just like, Hey, I want to kind of, I want to do what you're doing and, you know, quit school and try this whole band thing. They were just doing it for fun. It was kind of more of just an extra fun thing to do in between going to school. Mm-hmm. And then, they kind of started to unexpectedly get a lot of attention, a lot of underground uh, recognition. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, well, why don't we just take a stab at this? It's kind of a, it's a very nondescript band trajectory. They kind of, it wasn't as much how the other um, stories we hear of, you know, the the restless artist that will do whatever it takes to make it to the top. My Chemical Romance, at least at the beginning, was kind of more of a all of a sudden unexpecting them, unexpectedly finding themselves in bigger and bigger environments. <laughs> That's funny. And just kind of going, well, this this is so working. they just like Let's... stumbled into it, kind of. Yeah. Well, this this is working. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a big reason why um, they did not feel the need to keep continuing when they were at the height of their power. Because they actually took, um, they were broken up for almost 10 years. From about um, 2000 and, well, I guess not 10 years, uh, 2013 to 2019 the band just didn't exist just because they felt like doing other things Hmm. it wasn't just like they started fighting or they had creative differences it was just like we don't want to 
do it right yeah, now. Yeah, it was it was it's it was a very um uncontroversial breakup. It wasn't yeah, it wasn't they just felt like, you know, we've been They went away as they came. Yeah, they they <laughs> felt like they had yeah. been doing it for a while. They wanted to do other things. They were just like, "You know what? Let's let's take a break." And it ended up being like a 7-year break. They all went out and did different things well, and then they got back together and were like, "Hey, this is fun. Let's let's do this again." So it was literally just they got back together on a whim as well. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we should do like a reunion tour. Well, it was it, like it, money. It or... was going to be a reunion tour until COVID stopped it. Okay, but yeah, it was meant to be. It was it was meant to be like a big thing. Originally, okay. originally it was going to be a one-off tour and then the or a one-off show, and then people their fans freaked out so much. That they're just like, well, let's let's do more. Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of in that now, in that uh, in that vein of just you know, kind of not really master planning everything beforehand. Now, those dates you mentioned, twenty thirteen to twenty nineteen, the band didn't exist. Why is there? Um, Spotify music from 2016. Um, those are re-releases. That's those okay, are. So that's it's not... a deluxe version of the Black Parade with some extra um, demos. It's not a new record. So uh, the, yes, not uh, new Danger not Danger new Days is their last official album. So even on okay. all their all their releases, like on a lot of the art, other artists that we talk about, it's like, well, this first album they were finding their sound, and then mm-hmm. this album there were problems, and then this album was their breakout album. So you're just saying that it pretty much just like snowballed the whole way, not not very much fanfare with any of it. Um. So the first album is is definitely a finding their sound album. It's you know. I guess to say that they did take it seriously once they got going, but I don't think that they ever had a a plan of just like we're going to become the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that other people are just like you know, no matter what, I am going to be a star. I am going to be the biggest artist in the world. That was yeah. that was not them. But they ended up becoming that, at least for a short amount of time. Um, the first album—they've only got four albums, which is crazy. Um, the first album is definitely—it's a very rough album. It's one of the rougher albums I've ever listened to by an artist. Um, it's definitely—and there are people that, you know, will say that this is one of the best one of their favorite albums of theirs. I do not, I don't share that opinion, but you know, I guess I can understand why it's very raw. It's very warts and all. Um, and we'll talk more about that in our after hour section. Cause there's a couple of songs on our bottom six from that. Um, but it's, it's got its own kind of cult audience. And the second album is kind of like the, the, 
the attention grabbing album. They had they had a couple big hits off of it, but you would still not count them as like the leaders of the emo scene. But they mm-hmm. were just kind of like, oh, this this is a band to watch for. And then the third album was the Black Parade, and that was the big one. That was when they mm-hmm. they dominantly asserted themselves at the top of the pack. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, we have we have four songs from mm-hmm. that. I album. usually try to not really pile up from one record, but I was just like, I just have to. It's what's gonna do the best carrying the emotional arc of the set, and also just these songs are really good. <laughs> And there's still so many more songs for that album that I can do in future episodes. Like it is one of the most stacked albums. I've, it's it's very much like Scenes from Memory by Dream Theater, mm-hmm. where it's just you listen to it, it's just like that's a great song, that's a great song, that's a great song, and it's just like all the way through. Mm-hmm. There ain't there ain't a weak song on the whole thing, and mm-hmm. um. So that was kind of like, that was the big moment when, in my opinion, they really transcended the emo genre. Not only did they get on top of it, but they created something that was really so much more than, than it. Yeah. I mean, you don't, when you listen to the back parade, you're not listening to it going, this is a really good emo album. You're listening to it. It's like, this is a great album, a great rock album. And I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of, again, kind of the reason why they're, they've endured so long and why I think their music has aged very, very well. And then uh, Danger Days is the fourth one. And while it's not as good as Black Parade, it's still, a, it was definitely a big triumphant album. It was n- not an album that killed the band. Like, it's not a band where you're just like, yeah, I understand why they broke up after making that one. You know, it was... And that, what year was that? That was 2010. Oh, well, okay. So, four albums in 10 years. And, you know, a very, very short catalog. It was a very easy one. Like, and on, on my ranked playlist, every single song is on there. I didn't have to, like, say, well... I'm going all the way up to this point. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so they, um, they're a band that just really captured um, kind of this lightning in a bottle. I think you can definitely see the lead up to Black Parade, but Black Parade was not what I would call a logical next step. It's a it's a leap forward. Like it's not one of those ones where you're just like it was like after their second album, um, three years for sweet revenge. You don't think the Black Parade is the next logical step in their career. It's just like all of a sudden you turn on that album and you're just like we have taken a monumental leap forward. I'm I'm kind of I kind of even don't understand how they made such a good album that quickly in their career. You think it was just luck? Like they didn't do anything different? 
I think they did do st- a lot of things different. The songwriting is so much more sophisticated. Uh, I think it helps that it's a concept record. And I it tend to be that the good concept records really sharpen the songwriting because you know that you can't write filler. Every Because every song has to mean something in the story, you tend to treat it with a little more care and intentionality but you can tell and i've i've gathered this from the interviews that i've listened to where they talk about this album that they knew that they had a special album but they had no idea how big it was going to (laughs) be that they yeah like because you know a band typically knows when they've got a winner where they're just they're listening to the final mix and they're just like man we made a really good album but i don't think that they mm-hmm. had any idea that it was going to be to the level like i think that it is one of the defining rock records of the 2000s i mean it is that strong of a record i was blown away the first time that i listened to it and just it kept my attention all the way through and I, it made me as when it was over. I was just like, I gotta listen to that again. Wow. So since we do have four songs from that album on the um, playlist, can we talk briefly a little bit about the concept of yeah. the album? And then as we go through the songs, we'll talk about how each of them mm-hmm. play into it. So. Um, when they make a concept record, because this and Danger Days are concept records, they okay. don't follow a very neat story and say the way Scenes from Memory does, or The Wall, where there's a very obvious right. narrative line. Rather, um, mm-hmm. it's more about a theme and your and you're playing around with all of the different ideas. Now, the theme is very specific, and there is kind of a um, narrative through line, but it doesn't necessarily go in... um, It doesn't go in chronological order all the time, and it's also not always very clear what's happening. Mm. Um it's it's kind of left open to interpretation and right. it's it's okay. um like there's a lot of debate among the fans it's like well it could mean this it could mean that where you know you look at something like the wall and it's very you know kind of cut and dry obviously with themes buried within it but for the most part you're looking at it and you're just like okay you know what happened there's there's right. a lot of uncertainty so, in um, in Black Parade that you're just kind of like I don't quite know exactly what's meant to be happening here, but it's still very interesting. So I take it that means they've never like come out and done a big interview explaining you know what it is. They and... they do, but they don't in the sense of like you know kind of clearing everything they they would talk about kind of they would give little hints 
and they would kind of just say, uh, you know, we were feeling this, you know, this theme is meant to represent this, but they don't kind of take you on a very detailed, mm -hmm. you know, run through and go, okay, so the first thing that happens is this happens, then this happens, then this happens. You don't mm -hmm. really see that. So mm -hmm. with the Black Parade, the whole concept is that you have this character named the Patient, and he is dying of cancer. And the whole story mm -hmm. pretty much takes place in his hospital bed after the doctors give him two weeks to live. And mm -hmm. he's kind of simultaneously starting to enter the afterlife while at the same time grappling with his own life. Like certain songs are mm -hmm. about him looking back on his life, about mistakes that he's made or relationships that he mm -hmm. had, while at the other times mm -hmm. he's having a glimpse into what the next life holds for him and kind of mm -hmm. seeing, you know, where am I going to go when I die? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? What does hell look like? Oh, crap. I don't want to go to hell. This is scary. Um, mm -hmm. And the kind of the whole thing about the black parade is that that's the vehicle that is taking him to the afterlife is he is on this parade. And so kind of the thing you kind of think is that he's drifting in and out of life. He's drifting in sometimes. Cause again, it's not, it doesn't follow Carl. Sometimes like you'll have a song that takes place in hell and then the next song is him in the hospital bed thinking about his life. And so you're just like, wait, but hmm. if you're if you're here, and so it's, it's it's kind of not meant to like follow a cohesive like narrative per se, but rather it's kind of it's like a series of vignettes all tied around the same concept. You're making me want to listen to this. Well, that's the whole point of the because, episode, huh? <laughs> because, like, I don't know. The type of albums that do that sort of thing, that really jump around, and yet at the same time have a very, like, strange setting, something mm -hmm. like that. I mean, even, even Scenes from a Memory, which you said was very much not like this, is kind of the same way where a lot of his experiences are him under hypnosis yeah. and it's just a whole bunch of mm -hmm. visions so and it and it lends itself to a lot of really weird imagery that you can do and things like the black parade right like that's what's taking him to the afterlife and a lot of weird chronology and like is it real is it not um that's really cool actually yeah so i think I, yeah, I think that's a well-executed concept record from what you told me already, that there there does seem to be a little bit of, of through Yeah, the, and the lyricism is actually really brilliant. Uh, okay. The, he's, he's very good at not making it obvious what he's trying to say. It kind of makes you dig mm -hmm. and really kind of, you know... Mm -hmm get context for what he's saying it's it's not mm -hmm. elementary lyrics which i guess what what people would think of emo is it's like you know it's very unartistic 
it's just about griping and i I wanted to steal that because you're i'm reading these lyrics i'm just like dang he is he is this is poetry for sure with definitely his Mm -hmm. very specific brand and by the way gerard the the singer he is the the main songwriter lyrically at least Mm -hmm. um and I'm just yeah, I'm reading. I'm just like, man, he this is this is really well crafted. So, it's a hmm. it's this might be one of my favorite discoveries this year from doing the podcast, the Black Parade specifically, and then My Chemical Romance as a whole because it was just like, again, they were a bit of an unknown entity for me. I knew of them. I probably. I probably never listened to an entire song from start to finish. I knew about the Black Parade's <laughs> existence. I knew that chorus. Um, but I was just like, I couldn't tell you anything else about them. They're an emo band. People liked them. And now mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, I, I get what's going on here. Yeah. No, I can see it now. I mean, this I think this is going to turn out to be one of those episodes where I'm going to like them more after we talk about them than actually listening to the songs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That has happened before. I think that um, Sting was another one, maybe, Can't if I can remember correctly. May, uh, maybe it was Coldplay. Yeah, I think it um, was Coldplay. Yeah, it was around. It was around that time when we were doing the the covers over the summer, mm-hmm. um, but I think this is going to be another another one of those episodes. As much as I like the music, which I'm really excited to talk about in our next segment, I think that learning about them as a band and their lyricism and the fact that they put a lot of craftsmanship into that side of things, which I don't really pay attention to. That is also something that I kind of admire, you know. Ethan, what have you got to to say or ask? I, man, honestly, I think, I think most of most of the discussion is gonna like, I, I am now, I am thoroughly caught up on on emo and my chemical romance, and I think the rest of it is is to be explored through the music. I have a stupid question. Okay. But I just want to clarify for all the other people who may or may not have the same stupid question. Emo is short for emotional. <laughs> um right? maybe. Oh got I, him. I can't give I can't give you a, a hard answer on that. I can tell okay. you what Screamo See, is. That's that's that would always be the thing is that emo is short for emotional is that would be the assumption but I don't I know. mean that's probably true. Okay, looking it up now. <laughs> okay. I really I re- I what, stuck with I, the know. music, not the not the subculture. Well, yeah, it figures, but like I I had never heard an explanation. I didn't know if you had like a detailed explanation of like, oh, this artist came up with it and it means like this and it stands for like our emergency medical oversight. I don't know, you know? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> 
Ethan, are you looking it up? Um, it's 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 there's not really a clear answer. <gasps> oh my gosh, this is a problem. <laughs> like the world doesn't know what emo is. <laughs> the world doesn't know what we should show them. You emo show news. them the world. Emotive or emotional. I mean, that's what makes the most okay. sense. But, yeah, like, well, it has lost that. It is, like, it doesn't mean that anymore. Like, it's yeah. like now, it's yeah. like a definition of a subculture. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that was my stupid okay. Question. Then I think with that, we can go ahead and move on to, uh, the next portion of the podcast so when we come back we're going to talk about uh the six i guess technically seven songs uh, in this episode so stay tuned we'll be right back Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about My Chemical Romance and the emo subculture and all the things revolving around that. And we're excited to get into this genre with this episode. And so as a great introduction, we have chosen six songs, technically seven on the Spotify playlist, but six songs to introduce you guys into My Chemical Romance. Now, this is the six song segment. Um, for those of you who are new, first of all, welcome. Uh, second of all, you're probably a little bit confused as to why we have this segment. So, Lucas, could you help them out and ease their confusion? Yes. I shall bring clarity and order. Okay. <laughs> um, so, what this segment is, is it allows us to uh, talk concretely about the band and be able to introduce you guys um, to the band through their music. So um, the way that I am um, picking these songs is not necessarily by um, their, like picking their six best songs or what I think are my six favorite songs, but rather six songs are going to introduce you to the band and, um, is going to give you the best first impression of them. If you're just like, man, I have no idea what My Chemical Romance sounds like, or you're one of those people that may have a bias against them because of the subgenre that they belong to, you um, can hopefully, with this set, be able to overcome those biases and actually appreciate them objectively as a great band. So um, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode uh, that takes you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not only these songs, but also all the songs from our previous episodes. There's a lot of songs on there at this point. Yeah. So um, with that, we'll go ahead and uh, get into really – the first two songs, but the first song. So what I'll, what I like to do sometimes is um, if a song kind of has a, um, 
where it's like the two songs are very meant to just go hand in hand with each other and that you can't really fully appreciate one without the other. I like to include them in and just kind of like make it like a, almost like a medley, even though this is just a medley of two songs. Mm. So our first double first song is The End Dead. The End Slash Dead. Now so, this is this, the this is the opening to the Black Parade. As it should be. It's a great opening. It's funny it's funny that the first song on the album is called The End. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, true. The So what struck me here, like immediately, because I'd never heard the song, I was very shocked at the chord progression it, it like right as it opened. In what, what, what about it? That third chord is like a is. Oh, when it kind of when it kind of all of a sudden takes a weird turn. Yeah. Like just in that opening chord progression on the end. Oh. I'll make yeah, I, I know what you're talking about now. I got you. I got you because it's it's not it's not like it's not like a super uber complicated chord. It's just like I was like okay. Right. Six four, and then and then it was I was like whoa! Like I was super surprised that they would pull that stop out. There, that's a that's kind of a cliche with uh, with emo and and punk and pop punk and stuff like that. Is that it's all power chords, and it's like in the major scale. You know that is all mm -hmm. power chords, in the, and so having them pull a major three i don't think surprised me i think it's just part of like the the musical aesthetic you know which is something it's something that um a band like green day does a lot is pull out like the third chord and that's also a thing that nirvana does a lot too which is why i talked about like i expected them to have some sort of like nirvana influence I mean, I'm sure that they do have some Nirvana influence, but I would definitely not say that they are a domineering influence. Right. Well, I'm sure some down, some somewhere down the family tree of influences, they're there. Yeah, just about everyone um, Nowadays, post yeah. '90s is influenced by Nirvana right. in some way. Right. Right. But I would not. I wouldn't say that they're a direct influence now. What is a direct influence on this song in particular is two sources. And I'm sure, uh, Grant, that this reminded you a lot of In the Flesh by Pink Floyd. Mm, yeah, in a way. When it comes in with the... It's, it's very much... Um, like that big bow down, 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 as well as the way the lyrics are put together, the the opening phrase being in in the flesh. So you think you'd like to come see the show? Mm -hmm. Very much, it's this. It's a song that's meant to introduce, like a narrator talking straight to the audience about "Welcome to the album." Here's my story. Sit back, relax, on with the show. That's pretty much what the end is doing, although in a bit more of a twisted way. It's very much more um, ironic and sarcastic. It's kind of like it's saying, you know, come one, come all to this tragic affair. 
kind of telling, come listen to my story, but just to warn you, this is a really sad story and you're probably not going to like the ending. Yeah, I... I will say that from the songs off of this album that are on the list, there seems to be a lot of Pink Floyd influence, which I was really surprised by. Yeah. They said that there was three albums that influenced the making of the Black Parade. And The Wall was one of them. Um, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust was the second one, which you can really hear that also in the end because the opening song to Ziggy is a song called five years. Mm -hmm. And the first two chords, which is why I think it's interesting that Ethan pointed out that third chord um, twist is what kind of is their stamp on it. But the first two chords are the same first two chords of five years. And it's the same rhythm. Oh, what? Okay. It's that dun 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 Like you, if you are a David Bowie fan, you know exactly where they're pulling from. As well as the 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 save me part at the end, very much echoes the five years at the end of five years. So it's that is something that they're very proudly wearing that influence okay while at the same time taking it in directions that are showing that it's going to be uniquely them right it's crazy um, and then the, the gate so strong on the first song yeah it's mm-hmm. pretty big it's pretty much letting you know that the, what they said the intent of this was to let you know what kind of album you're in for. That this is not just an album, but that this is going to be a giant theatrical um, epic. And they're just like, we, you know, we wanted to have like a prologue song that just kind of like throws you immediately into the move. Almost like it's almost very Broadway or like a musical. Mm-hmm. Like it's the intro. And then it throws you right into the action. But the third influence on this album, but I would say you probably don't hear it as immediately on the first song, but we'll definitely see where it um, where it pops up later is Queen's A Night at the Opera, which is their biggest album, and it's the album that has Bohemian Rhapsody on it. Hmm. Okay. So I'll I'll let you kind of figure out where that influence finds its yep. way. Um, so that they said that those were the three um, uh, albums that really inspired them and dictated kind of the sonic territories that they wanted to um, occupy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because I never really understood like listening to certain albums in order to write music. It sounds like you would just copy everything. But also it's like when you're intentionally listening to an album for the express purpose of like pulling ideas, you get a lot different of a perspective. Because you all mm-hmm. there's nothing you don't think so much about the final product anymore. You start to think about like the process and all of the stuff that goes into it mm-hmm. and everything. And you tend to appreciate it more too. You know? Yeah. And and also just you, you kinda have to realize that there's nothing new in music anymore. Right. Every pretty much everything has been done at the at the basic mm-hmm. level. 
at the root. There's no root ideas anymore. Mm. Rather, we're just getting new we're getting new combinations of things. Right. And so when you say that we're going to have an album that mixes The Wall, Ziggy Stardust, and Night at the Opera, mm-hmm. and then add it in with their already pre-existing aesthetic, yeah, you're going to get something that's, you know, something that's completely new. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... So then so, we get into so yeah, so this, debt. Yes, and so one one thing that kind of that connects it all is at the beginning of the end, you've got this hospital life support beeping, mm. and yeah. once you get to dead, it flatlines. It's dope. It's so cool. And I think I think that that's a really cool um, way to kind of just segue into it. So there is some confusion though and this is kind of where i was talking about where there it's not completely um clear about what the timeline is because throughout the song he's talking about being dead but then he's also talking about talking to the doctor who's telling him you got two weeks left to live and then you have other songs where he is still alive, but he's, you know, thinking about his life. So it's kind of like, you know, at the beginning, does he have like a near death experience while he's in the hospital that triggers him thinking about his Just like um, it could be like his a life. your life kind of scenario. Or maybe all of this is happening in the split second between life and death. Well, that's true. Um, that's how i would interpret it. it it could be that maybe once he's dead he's bef- right before the black parade fully takes him to the other side he's kind of in this place where time maybe is fluid and he's able to jump back and forth through time mm-hmm. i'm probably more apt to think that that is what the explanation is but that just that's kind of an example of how it's not completely clear I would put like he did. There's not a lyric that says I'm trapped between life and death. Time I'm jumping through time. Like maybe another concept album would maybe make clear to not confuse the listener. Right. In this album, it kind of it doesn't baby you. It doesn't spell things out very clearly, and it also allows people to have their own unique interpretations, which I always like it whenever. Uh, bands do that, that they don't completely hold your hand and make it easy. Cool. Okay. So, so yeah, and Dead, you've got, um, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll accept it as the crossing over point, but we're, I guess you could say you're in limbo or in purgatory mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. point. And you're waiting for that thing to take you, what will end up becoming the Black Parade, to take you fully into the afterlife. Right. So you're caught between life and death. And um, to kind of borrow also from the end, we start to get a glimpse of what the patient's life is like. He is not satisfied with the way that he's lived. He's completely alone. Um no one ever had much nice to say and never think they liked you anyway. Mm. So he's someone that, you know, it wasn't popular. Uh, we'll find out about that more throughout the album, that he was a loner, that 
anyone that he did love he pushed away mm-hmm. and that he's come to the end of his life and there's no one with him he only has himself mm-hmm. and he's in a at this point at the beginning of the album the kind of the arc that he makes is he starts off wanting death mm-hmm. Yes, he's sad. He regrets that he didn't live a better life, but he, um, you know, he's he's saying, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Especially after having cancer and, um, you know, living in this miserable state, he's he's kind of at the point mentally. Where he's just like, just take me already. Mm. I I don't want to live like this anymore. Mm. But by the end of the album, he starts to find renewed hope. And the very last line of the last song, which is famous last words, is, I am not afraid to keep on living. I am not afraid to walk this world alone. Mm. Now, now whether, and again, this kind of plays into whether you think he's already dead at this point or not. Is is he trying to get away from the afterlife and try and get off the Black Parade to make it back to the land of the living to give it another go? Or it maybe could mean that he's at peace with himself. He's resolved whatever demons he has, and now he's ready to, if he's still alive, um, live his last days not hating himself and not fearing what's going to come next that he's going to accept whatever whatever fate there is with uh solemnty oh this is some serious stuff man wow and i think that and it's interesting because you would think of a song about dying would be this really dark or morose but this is an upbeat banger of a song Mm mm-hmm and what I think it's doing here is it's he's being sarcastic, like he's celebrating that he's dead. Because again, he's this is the beginning of his journey, is that he doesn't want to keep living. He's he's excited about the thought of being dead. Ooh, that's a new spin on it. And so he's and so because it's like, you know, you've got these you've got these horns coming in. Um oh another another album they said was a big influence on them was the Beatles Sgt. Pepper. Mm-hmm which is where you've got kind of a lot of the eclecticism on this record. Like you've got the horns coming in. You've got that, that la, yeah. la, 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 I mean, you know, it's about being dead. And it's this, it's this romp sing along chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had always, I, so when, I think when listening to this song, I thought it was about like somebody else had died. And he was just like, ha ha, you got what you deserve. You know? No, so, and that actually uh, brings us to one of the characters. One of the other characters is this figure called Mother War, who is the figure that greets him on the other side. That's kind of like a mix of a representation of his mother as well as the, uh, the judge of all of the evil that he's done. We'll we'll talk about this figure a lot more in a later song in this episode. Um, but it's that's the person that's telling him, you know, did you get what you deserved? 
the ending of your life. And she's the one saying that you're dead and kind of is the one that's talking to him on the other side. She's communicating to him. And then you do have this brief moment where he uses his other voice and in my observation during that's the doctor talking about, you know, just kind of the coldness of him just saying, well, got two weeks to live. Boo hoo. Oh, well, you know, very dry. No, no compassion. It's just, he's just stating it as if he's, you know, reading the morning paper. Mm Mm-hmm. But you definitely, again, you're kind of, you can hear those influences. That's a very Beatles thing to do to have, or also um, a very Pink Floyd, the wall, to have these different voices for these different characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Dad is my favorite song in the set list. Really? Oh, really? Okay. The, the, the mix of the end and dead, I think, is my favorite. Whenever I listen to these first two songs, it's just good vibes. Mm-hmm. About it. And I think it, as I was listening to the songs, like these two kind of had the most replay value. Like I found myself wanting to go back to those. Do you think that that's because the last song, because you mentioned that was another one that that you thought it was going to be. Do you think that it, that um, that's because you've listened to that song a lot and it's like it's lost its like uh, mojo or whatever? No, I think it's just kind of it's probably different for everybody. Like I don't it's it's very theatrical. Like yeah. the last song. That's true. And, that's and, true it is. and so like I'm just I'm not that kind of like that song it's like I have to be in like a mood. And I'm not in that mood very often, like mm-hmm. to like really resonate with that song. But like to this other stuff, it's just like, oh yeah, it's just it's just a good upbeat kind of punk song. Yeah, um, I put this at number four on the ranked playlist. The the end and dead. Yeah, you counted them as one song. Uh huh. That's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Um, as we'd listen to the Aretha Franklin songs, I'd always get to the end and it'd start playing the first part of the end, and mm-hmm. he would start singing, and, and there's that very clear, like emo sounding voice of like, yeah. vocal style, and you uh-huh. have to really get used to it. But once he gets into the middle of the song, it's like by the time you get to the end of the song, like you're used to that aesthetic. And you're mm-hmm. used to him being able to use his voice in like a non-cliche way, uh huh. And it carries through the rest of the set. So I yes, it, it does. Yeah, I, to me, there's to me, I was just like, there's no better way we can start this than with the big, the bland beginning. Yeah, yeah. The end <laughs> and the start. And I think yeah. to the voice thing, I think that's always been one of the turnoffs for from emo music for me and even like yeah my chemical romance like death cab i would kind of put like vocally mm-hmm. like those kinds of bands which my yeah. wife like loves i know what you mean because my wife does too and it and 
Yeah. Very nasally. Yeah, it's nasally, and they really pronounce their words. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. they want you to they want you to hear every gosh darn word they're saying. <laughs> every syllable will be clear. Um I'm just not used to it. But these first two songs I think it was a great performance by the singer, so I can't like I can't say that it was bad, but I do think that this was a good first I guess first two song choices. Cause I think yeah. it just kind of like very gently kind of like Let's see you kind of going on the kitty side of the pool. Right. It It's kind of like you talked about their vocal style being weird. It's kind of like King Diamond. Like if you listened to King Diamond on his own or even Diamond. <laughs> King Day, Diamond. No, you know what I'm saying? Like his voice. I know. So... I just that's, that's such a great example. Right. Exactly. His voice is so like objectively terrible. But with the music it's not. that it's that it's paired with, it's like it fits. Like it fits the stuff, and it, it like it pairs well with the way that the instruments are going, and the way that the lyrics go, and, and everything, right? And so mm-hmm. you can't like even if it's technically bad, it's a stylistic you, thing. You kind of have to give it like props for it being a good, yeah, good stylistic choice. And then also, it's the what the it's what the works. music needs. It's the same as David Bowie. Like that was my same. Right. Like, if anyone has gone to listen to David Bowie, it's like David Bowie has kind of a weird voice. But once yeah. you listen to his music, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the perfect voice. I can't even imagine another voice being on yeah. the track than David Bowie's voice after listening to it. But I think this is yet another example of those. So, um, yeah. If there's if there's nothing else um, about the mu- song. I just didn't know if you guys had anything musically um, that stood out to you guys. The the musical because we were kind of we were really we were talking with. about the concept, right? The the musical sophistication I think shows up a lot later. There's definitely like yeah. some here, but it's it's pretty much a simple pop song musically as far as dead is. Other than that, the mix is great. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, it is a great sounding album. I actually think that, and I, I know we were just talking about his voice maybe coming out across a little bit grating to people that are new to the genre, but if I had any critique, it would be that his voice isn't loud enough in the mix. Really? Hmm. Well, because when you sing like that, you do tend to have a little bit of a thin sound. Yeah, I can see that. That's my. But that's at the same time, it does it does serve it does serve wall of sound. Yep. But yeah, no, I see. I agree with Grant. It's mostly. I mean, I could talk about how the guitar tones are really good. You know. Oh, the guitar tone is pretty clear. But for for this type of music, I thought that the guitar tones were all going to be mud, but it's pretty clear. Yeah, it's just a that's that's pretty much my only musical thing. Uh, they weren't really other than in the end, which I, me and Grant could will probably could would get into an argument whether it's a major third or a major second, but <laughs> I don't think we could get into an argument because I didn't notice uh, I didn't pay attention to that part because my ears were pulled towards the musical theory direction the way they are with someone <laughs> like the theater. 
it was pulled more towards the emotion of the song, which is kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. So I think they served their purpose with this. Yes, I think so too. I think it serves the purpose of where I want to take the set, which is again, I think that if you are an, an, an MCR naysayer, this opening salvo should hopefully quickly change your mind. It did, I yeah. Agree. It did. So, All right, so let's go on we to have the, the second song. Yeah, okay. The na-na-na, na-na-na, na-na-na. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Yes. This is, this is another thing where it's just like <laughs> I tell you that uh, the emo songs have very specific ways they um, – they title their songs. It's very tongue in cheek. And a lot of times like having something be na, 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 and then parentheses more na, 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 nas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's, that's what I mean by that. That's actually um, Yeah. I think that they did it better than a lot of other bands did. Like there's other bands that try to do stuff like that. I'm just like, you're trying too hard, guys. Mm-hmm. Where I think this is a little more subtle to where it's just like, yeah, I, I think that that's pretty funny. I... Mm. So this is our um, this is our one Danger Days, the fourth and final record, at least as of now. Who knows? Now that they're back together, maybe they'll they'll make another album. Mm-hmm. Um. And we said this one is also a concept record, but it's it's a much um, looser and weaker concept record. Not that the, I mean the record is not as good as the Black Parade, but that I, I didn't mean that as in like it's it's a far uh, inferior record, just as like hardcore in your face about the themes as uh, or as good at communicating them as Black Parade is. So this album takes place in any fiction writer's favorite um, landscape, which is post-apocalyptic wasteland. Everybody's <laughs> got to have that post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yep. Uh-huh. And um, pretty much, it's it takes place in like this this fictional future where um, you know you and you get a lot of this information from the music videos, where it's kind of like it's almost like Mad Max style life, mm. even though it's pre pre Fury Road, which is probably the more striking imagery, but it's still you know very Mad Max where it's, you know, these kind of these, these ragtag um, rebels kind of fighting against the, the, the tyranny. Mm-hmm. And um, all of the band members have like these personas, these alter egos that they're, that they're performing as. And they're, they're called the fabulous killjoys. And what did, Sick spine of the album is couldn't find me about what this album is actually about, which is why I think it's like mm. it's meant to be more of a looser concept. But it definitely pulls from uh, the Who and their album The Who Sell Out, which is a concept record mm. 
in the sense it's a meant to be a pirate radio station mm. where the songs don't really have much to do um, between each other. But what you'll have is in between the songs, you'll have these commercials that'll play. And it's, but it's commercials that the band themselves wrote. And so it's kind of oh, like, you know, yeah. they have, they have like a fake radio station. And so in between the songs, you'll have this fake little jingle. You're listening to da 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 and then D, whatever it is. And, and they'll mm-hmm. like, they'll do their own commercial for Heinz baked beans or, or deodorant <laughs> or a fitness course. And um, so it's, it's, it's concept dragon and, uh, Danger Days follows that as well. You've got this this radio DJ named Doctor Death that um, will come in between songs and kind of like um, he's more like a talk show guy, but he's also yeah. um, the head of the pirate radio that's speaking specifically to the Killjoys and kind of speaks in code to them to kind of let them know what dangers are coming their way. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty much, kind of the whole corporation that has taken over the world. So it's it's um, a business that rules the world for the extent of controlling the masses through their consumerism. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you pacify the people by giving them everything that they want. But you control what it is they want, and so the Killjoys are Classic the people that are what not. Uh huh. Very twenty one twelve. The the Killjoys are the people that are not uh, under the the consumerism. Are fighting to uh, liberate other. It's almost, it's almost kind of also like the Matrix, where you've got this this force that is keeping the people dull and pacified and then you have these few awakened people that are searching not only to bring down the establishment but to wake up as many other people as possible mm-hmm. so how this all ties into our song na 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 is um, it's the first song on the album now this is actually not the version. What we're listening to is not the version that's on the album because the album okay. starts off with the first Dr. Death uh, radio broadcast mm-hmm. and transitions seamlessly into Na Na Na. But I wanted to have this song because I feel like that this has a great second song energy to it, but I didn't want to have another thing where we have this long introduction like we did with The End. Yeah felt like that would be too much to do back to back so i was able to find the single version oh, that cool. that cuts out the whole inch the whole radio intro and just gets right to the song it's really interesting to hear like you talk about a band that's so popular that's so what i would consider radio friendly you know um to have these like album long epics with introductions to the songs and songs that like intro to each other it's really weird because like the whole 
you know, I always pictured uh, My Chemical Romance as being like three minute song guys, which they are, but like it's their songs tend to, I mean, we're talking about now two of their albums, two of their four albums where their songs reach more than just the three minutes that they're allotted that they kind of extend to the other songs they play off of each other. And you can't really appreciate them for what they are if you don't listen to the whole thing. And so for, yeah, being, it's... for being so radio uh, or so commercially um, successful, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. So what is the song actually about? So this is this song is meant to kind of introduce you to the world, to the characters, to the struggle, and to the to the heroes um the na 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 refrain is is meant to kind of be the um the what the what the common folk is blind kind of like they're just they're just oblivious not like they're off in their own world just enjoying whatever is put in front of them and then when you're intercutting with what gerard is singing he's making some very shocking statements in between and so pretty much this is he's inter- he's telling you about what this corporation does what they're all about that they're soulless greedy monsters that all they want to do is push their own agenda and pretty much introducing the fact that we are the resistance we're going to stand against them it mm-hmm. it doesn't it's it's pretty much it's your it's your introduction to the world it's 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 the, it sets the stage it doesn't really further any plot. It's just kind of saying, here's the place, here's the conflict, here's what we're going to do about it. Now, you mentioned and, earlier on that each of the band members has their own part to play. Do they all sing? Um, Some of them do. Okay. The drummer does not. Okay. Um, but I know that uh, Mikey way does who's the bass player right and i'm pretty sure that um ray toro does as well okay who's the lead guitar player Mm -hmm. but like when i watched them live um they definitely did sparingly okay it was definitely like when they play live they much more focus on gerard's lead vocals gotcha Okay. So, so yeah, this is this is um this is this has a really good energy and um I really like the the midsection to this song. Where he has that where he has that chant and he's pretty much this is this is kind of like his 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 rebellion statement pretty much just kind of saying for all of you that know the truth as we do come together and your hands to the sky you know kind of pointing out everything that is that is wrong and decrepit with the world mm-hmm. and i really like the 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 phrase he uses there where he says everybody wants to change the world but no one wants to die oh yeah Yeah, that's a good tattoo right there. That was a little dark, but 
See, because when I first heard that, I was like, nobody wants, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change. I was like, ooh, that's pretty deep. But then he said die. And I'm like, oh, right. Because it's like, you know, more intense yeah. than it needs to be sometimes. Because mm-hmm, sometimes that's what it takes. Because some, yeah, exactly. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's the people that are willing to die for their for their beliefs that usually have the the will to fully commit to the cause. Right. That's what he's saying. That you know, until people change that, uh, until the the mass population is not content with valuing their own lives before their what they believe in then nothing will actually change you can say a million things but you can only die once mm-hmm. so so it's interesting but yeah and i think that uh i think it's interesting that you've got again a lot of this very um a lot of this deep um very anti-capitalist anti-business just you know um, all the stuff just buried in inside of just a great guitar driven rock song mm-hmm. yeah and i think again that's kind of the purpose that's the the parallel they're trying to make is that you've got these two things simultaneously happening you've got a um you've you've got a deeper message that's trying to work against like the the mainstream uh you know mass appeal market okay yeah i'm two I'm, conflicting aesthetics I'm tr- yeah, if I'm you get to, what i'm trying to say I'm trying to play it out in my head so it's it's taking a minute but um you mentioned earlier that they were called like the killjoys did they come up with that term was that an existing term because uh, i've heard that before um i mean i don't think that they invented that saying okay i think that they probably adapted it for the intent of that okay uh for that record i guess i wouldn't say that they invented the word killjoy mm-hmm the song itself sounds like Black Holes and Revelations was written by the Jay Giles band. <laughs> yeah. You know what um, I mean? I, I would say that if you, if you notice any Muse correlation, that's probably not accidental because they definitely uh, toured with them. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, they, they, were, they were their opening sense. act before they did the Black Parade. Because it's the same chord progression as um, as Knights of Sidonia, just a whole lot faster. Hmm. I don't think I'd ever picked and up it's, on it's that. It's got less. It's got less of the anthemic feel and more of the kind of just like party music feel. Yeah. Which is which is I guess kind of what the what the what they're going for emo music sort of like stereotype is which mm-hmm. yeah if, it, that, if that's what they're going for then that's great because they nailed it yeah and also um i think that their their choice of aesthetics is really interesting like you know, image that everyone has of my chemical romance is typically of their black parade image 
which mm-hmm. is them in the black and white with the the marching outfits and yeah exactly um it's very much you know very gothic very uh not gothic as in like goth but you know gothic as in like very old timey looking um you could you could see someone maybe wearing this in a in a strange black and white film and it's got a it's got an antiqueness about it yeah that's a good one where where danger days their their look they switch to bright neon colors oh that's funny actually like as bright as it can possibly get like gerard dyes his hair pink <laughs> oh my and God. is wearing like bright yellow and you look at the music video like the music video like say for welcome to the black parade is all in black and white it's all like very much kind of looks like you know silent film era film technique where you look at the music video for na 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 and it's um it's so super modernistic looking and i just think that that is an interesting thing of again i think the real great artists don't just repeat what they do but they look for a completely new way and a new avenue to jam their um brand into i think that's a great way of of talking about it because we talked about like how na 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 like the lyrics na 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 were supposed to be a juxtaposition that's something that you don't really see a lot of in a lot of other genres especially concept records you know Mm -hmm. that's such a deep idea that you really can only pull off for a genre like this yeah and just again i think that um you know the the sarcasm and the and the irony and kind of the um the satire is a common thing in uh, the emo feel but i don't think that anyone did it better than my chemical romance did i think that they're all of their um everything that they were doing is just like mm-hmm. okay yeah you guys you guys are doing this very well Mm-hmm. I think you're selling me more and more on the band. <laughs> that's that's why it. I'm here. Okay, we're only at song two. Yeah, um, we got plenty Ethan, more to was go. There, was there anything that stuck out to you in this song? No, I didn't know that it. I didn't know it was a concept record. So I think that adds more personality to the song, knowing what what it's about. That's why I generally like talking more about concept of the song because mm-hmm. for for a band like this it's like the the magic isn't in the mute well i hate to say the magic's not in the music but the magic isn't in the technicality of what they're playing like yeah on all the songs the mix is great all the instruments and all the instrumentation and the arrangement serves the point of the song mm-hmm. and so it's a lot more interesting to just hear good emo executed really well like what you were saying yeah it's like it's like kind of looking at it now it's like really obvious that they took over this genre and i think that they that this because you if you were to listen to this song and i were to tell you what genre is this i don't think you would say that it was emo no i would say something like pop i think it's it's got it it's got a bit more of a a bit more of a general appeal and i think it's interesting that this is that the song came out and was a 
you know, a pretty big hit for them. Uh, it got to number one on the rock, rock charts when it came out. Um, yeah, this would be like some weird child of punk and alternative rock. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, this was this came out after emo had already severely declined in popularity. And so I think that they they made a very good pivot because the whole album is is very un emo. It's it's definitely kind of more uh, moving in the alternative rock, but again, just still having their unique stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can go ahead Let's and move go. on to the third song. Oh, uh, I forgot to tell you where this ranks on the playlist. Oh, right. Which is at number five. Oh, wow. Ooh, so number four and number five. Uh Uh-huh. Are one, two, and three on this list? Uh, Three is not. Okay. So, next we get to the third song, I'm Not Okay, I Promise. (laughs) I also kind of like... This is kind of tongue-in-cheek as well. Yes. Um, So this was off of their second album. This was kind of like the song that got them noticed. This was 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 the song that got them in the underground. Yeah. And also, it got them in the mainstream as well. It got them very popular, but it also had some mainstream success to where, you know, again, they were were starting to build momentum here. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say that this is this is the song that helped them get out of the underground and into the mainstream, even though they hadn't conquered the mainstream yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a song that the more I've listened to it, the more I really like this song. It's a song that the first time I heard it, because I've always heard of this song, I always knew that this was like one of their big iconic songs and I remember the first time I heard it I was just like yeah you know what this song was okay I can definitely use it in the episode but no, the this m- song is not okay I promise <laughs> <laughs> the, the more I listened to the song the more I was just like man I really like this song and I just I kept I, I kept finding that this was a song that I kept singing along with and kept singing to myself like i'd just be like walk doing chores around i'd be like i'm not okay Uh, it's that chorus is really catchy yeah it is it's interesting to note that it sounds uh musically a lot like dead Uh uh-huh that the melody kind of falls the same the tempo is kind of the same the feel is kind of the same but they make something that has so much similarities feel very different. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of bands suffer from the opposite of, of two things that sound completely different, you know, end up sounding the same to a uninformed listener. But that didn't happen to me being someone who had never even delved into this genre at all. I think that's something to note as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, of all of the uh, songs 
on this set. This is probably the one that's maybe most stereotypically emo sounding. Right. Um, as, as lyrically and vocally. Um, this is a point to where Gerard's voice is still growing. It's mm. definitely better than where it is on the first album, but you can tell that he hasn't quite reached the full maturity that you find on the Black Parade. But he's still using it, I think, exactly the way the song needs. I say that in the sense where you hear other songs on the album and the vocals aren't as strong. But for this song, his mm, rougher I can hear that. his rougher vocal, I think, suits it exactly what it needs to be. I can hear that Queen influence in that guitar solo little interlude after the yeah. second chorus. Uh-huh. Mm. And I what I, see that's that's even weirder because I didn't even focus on the guitars. Yeah, I, I guess this I, whole run through, I didn't even think that it was hard. The thing that really sold me on this, you know what I mean? The thing that really sold me on this song was um, when I saw the music video. It's um, it's mm-hmm. in high school, and it's there, but they're filming it as if it's like a a preview for a new teen movie. And um, mm-hmm. I felt that that really, like, I kind of, like, understood right at that moment the charm of this song. It's, it's, um, it's a, it's a downer song because he's talking about not being okay. Mm-hmm. And he's really letting you know he's not okay. <laughs> I, I read it. I read a when I saw the music video. I read a, the first comment on there was just like, "Guys, I think he's not okay." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it's just, at the same time, there's almost kind of like a a a joy in being not okay. Like he's he's using it as a as a badge of honor. Like he's mm. not saying I'm not okay in the sense of please someone help me but rather he's saying it in the sense of you know i'm not okay and i'm okay with that yeah he jumped right to it's, right to the uh it's the last stage of grief yeah it's the reason why he's saying you know i'm not okay i promise like you know i think in that little bit of you know humor he's communicating that you know i'm trying to not be okay because i don't want to be like everyone else who claims to be okay if everyone else is okay and i don't want to be like anyone else then i'm gonna be not okay i feel like the song is like because the i guess it's not the bridge but like I feel like the I'm not okay, I'm, I promise is like tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of stabbing at at people being like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I promise I'm okay. Like, I'm I'm fine, mm-hmm. I'm okay, and like putting that on the outside. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that this song is like trying to be the antithesis of that because later on, like whenever it like way breaks down to the piano and he's saying like, I'm okay, 
Yeah. He's saying, I'm okay. And then he like builds it up and pins up and builds up and then he just goes back to the I'm not okay part. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, I feel like the message, and again, I haven't analyzed any of the lyrics, but I feel like it's like being okay with being not okay. Yeah, like, I think that that's exactly what it's trying to get across. It's, you know, it's, and I think that it's, again, it's kind of like in, embrace your your yeah. negative emotions. Yeah, it's, okay. it's fine to not be okay. And I, it's also, I feel like, a, I mean, I know we talked about this as the stereotype, but it, it just is what it is. Because, like, I can't, like, a teenager is going to go to their room and they're going to put this CD on in their radio or in, in their Walkman or in their whatever, and they're just going to rage out. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and that's okay. And that's okay, because they're not okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, this this song is just is very simple. It's It's... You know, you can tell that there's. This is where a lot of the punk of emo really seeps in here. Um, you could see mm-hmm. that, you know, a band like Green Day or Blink One Eighty Two really kind of being like the the catalyst for writing a song like this. Mm. And um, but you know, whereas I really don't like those bands that much. Although, who knows? At this point, maybe I'm going to just change everything because I'm finding that everything I used to not like, I'm starting to like now. <laughs> if it's good, we like it. That's right. My my mindset has really changed this year. Um, it's it's. I feel like the whole genre of emo now I'm starting to gain perspective that I think the whole entire thing is supposed to be tongue in cheek yeah I think they're I think but they're using humor as a delivery mechanism for like trying to get across hard topics like people would like it's kind of like comedians usually have the most tragic lives kind of thing yeah or or they'll they'll tend to say something really dark but they can, if they can get you to laugh about it, then you know, it's more palatable. Uh huh. And that it's like with all of these things, it's like you're dead. I'm dead. You know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oh, that's and and like the way that it's present, like this song about not being okay, is like, and it's it, again, it sounds like dead. And, yeah. And it's like, like this isn't like teen angst music like I'm so sad I just got done with a breakup and I'm gonna go I wanna go turn on something that I'm gonna cry to. This is like almost like a weird like emotional like contrast of like I'm not okay but like the music that I'm listening to isn't sad. Mm-hmm. It's cathartic. It's not, and it's not like raging as the machine where it's like I'm gonna just go burn my friend's house down because f you i won't do what you tell me yeah Mm -hmm. it's this weird i don't know how to describe i don't know how to describe the musical emotion in contrast with the lyrical emotion well i mean so i'm trying to think of a word because they're because like rage against the machine a lot of hip-hop is like anti-establishment 
Right. This is not, but it's not like happy. You know. Yeah, it, it. I I get what you're what you're going for. It's 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 this strange middle ground. But they're doing it every time. Like they they have that down to a science, but I can't define what it what it is. Hmm. Again, it's like tongue in cheek sadness. Yeah, it's kind of almost like you know, like it's I don't I don't want to cry, so I'll in laugh way. instead. Yeah, it's like it's like almost cynical. Mm-hmm. That's a good. Yeah. Way. Okay. That's I a think good that way that might. To put it now, um, I think that though, so far we've seen kind of this prevailing, I guess now we can call it cynicism. I think that the next song kind of actually gives us a change of pace where we, Mm -hmm. where we really kind of start to have some more raw emotions coming through. Mm Mm-hmm. Now this song is I don't love you. I don't. Whenever I first heard this, I thought of Coldplay. The intro really because it made me think of Green Day. This song made me think of Muse. Wow, Muse. Mm-hmm. This seemed like uh, it. It reminded me a lot of their song Invincible. Hmm. Um. The um, this just this seems like a very big anthemic song. Well, it seems it is a big anthemic song, and mm-hmm. this comes a little bit before the halfway point of the album. And this is one of the songs where the patient is looking back on his life, mm-hmm. looking to the one, um loving relationship that he's ever had as far as like romantically and kind of him letting go of that because he knows that first off the love is gone and because he's about to die or in this case I guess we've kind of decided he is dead he's never going to have again that Mm. that love is gone and I think that I've heard, I've seen some people um, interpret it as, you know, if you're going with the theory that he's still alive, that this person is actually in the hospital with him and he's telling her, you know, almost kind of like, it's like, you know, the scenes in, in animal movies where they're trying to get the wild animal to go back. It's kind of they're like, go, I don't love you. Go back to your own kind. Um, like so, he's like falling on his on the sword, fight yeah. to save her uh-huh. emotionally. Yeah, like pretty much just kind of the whole idea of like you don't, we don't, I don't have a future. Therefore, we don't have a future. So it's best to just go ahead and leave me alone. It's what I deserve anyway. Mm-hmm. Again, he's 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 in the middle. This is the first time in the album that he starts to really. Um, open up to himself instead of just being so hard-edged of, you know, I'm dead, yay. You've got a couple songs after that where he um, is talking about, like, you've got a song like 
how I disappear. He's talking about just like, I will have no legacy to leave behind. When I die, everything of my life dies with me because there's going to be no one to remember it. And, um, and then actually the song that comes right before this in the album is Welcome to the Black Parade. And it's you kind of think at this moment he's starting to officially move now to the afterlife and he's now realizing all the things he's got to start completely letting go of. I think that probably what he's doing is he's saying, I don't love you to the woman in his, in his mind. Like he, he sees her in his subconscious and it's like, he's metaphorically having to let her go. Because obviously she's already gone. But now he's kind of like in his mind, his emotion is trying to let her go by saying, I don't love you, denying to try and get the regret and the negative emotion to go away. Mm. Mm, Man. This song really strikes accord with me um this originally i had a different song in this spot and this was kind of more of a last minute change i just kept when i would listen through the black parade the song just kept standing out to me Mm -hmm. and i was just like i think that this song is actually the best one because originally i had something from a different album when i was trying to not stack so much from the black parade Right. And the one I had was working okay. Um, but then I put this one just to kind of test now. It's just like, oh, this one feels so much better for the set for me. Yeah, it did it did feel right. And this is where I don't think this would have been a great first song, not because thematically or whatever, but because of his voice. I think in this song it lends itself to his voice having that very stereotypical emo sound mm-hmm. where he can overpronounce everything, you know, and have the real nasally stuff. But by the time we're here in this set, you're used to it. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of appreciate the song for what it is more without having to worry about, um, you know, getting getting used to his voice. And I think that's one thing that's very good about these sets is that, a lot of the the uh, songs at the beginning of the sets tend to introduce you better so that by the time you get to the end, you kind of have everything in a new light. That was That's something that was really good about our Michael Jackson episode. And I think this is another example of that. Yeah, and I just, I felt like at this point, there's this is a good change of pace. We've had three kind of just balls to the wall songs. This is kind mm-hmm. of a moment we can kind of, and also just, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to move forward emotionally to where, again, I, I kind of – I find that a lot of these things happen s- unconsciously. But, yeah. you know, you can say that it's by design, but necessarily I don't know why I'm doing it. I just know that it has to happen. Um, you've got these – you've got cynicism that's kind of like masquerading as comedy to just full-blown bitterness here. Yeah. 
And I think that that helps us to kind of get to where our final destination will eventually be. Um, to kind of start to have some more real emotion, not hiding behind anything. I mean, you can, when he's in the chorus, you can really hear his pain. Um, and I think that the guitar solo is such an emotive guitar. It's very, it kind of reminds me a bit of a Pink Floyd solo. I think that the wall Mm -hmm. is kind of revealing again, its influence here. Um, as well as again, just this, I I am getting some serious muse vibes from this. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this is the kind of ballad that muse would write. And yeah. um, and I just feel like just overall his Gerard's vocal performance is just really good here. Not just technically, but just again the emotion that he's pushing forth in in the song is just really brings it home. That down moment after the guitar solo mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah. And then but, when it like was, the way that he's singing it, and I was so surprised to hear like a Rhodes there for a Whirly. Yeah. Like, Whoa, sonically, like this is so different. And then the organ comes in like really prominently after that. I was mm-hmm. like, dang, that organ sounds really good too. Yeah. So yeah, um, this I, I and I didn't say where. Um, or I'm not okay this. Um I put that at number seven. And That's I don't fair. and I don't love you at number eight. All right. Okay. Do you guys have anything else to say about this one? No. I do not because we have more we're gonna to talk have about a, the next two songs. We're gonna have a lot to say about these next two. The next two are packed, and they were the ones that I was considering this whole time, which one was my favorite. And I think I've decided, and it's not this next one. Oh, very close. This is where I think the the Pink Floyd influence was very apparent for me. Oh, yeah. It sounded so much like The Trial. Yes, I thought the exact same thing some of his vocal lines were just it, it sounded like it was ripped right off the album but mm-hmm. it also sounded like it wasn't just like cut and pasted it sounded like it was truly inspired from that you know what I mean yeah and the other uh, inspiration and I didn't think about this until I heard them say it is that the actual the initial um, that little bouncing riff um, was meant to emulate the doors. That kind of oh. that 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 dark cabaret sound. I thought you meant like the doors, like physical doors. No, like the, band. the band. Yeah, <laughs> and I can definitely hear that. There's a there's a song on their first album uh, called uh, Whiskey Bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was what immediately, whenever they said Doris, I thought, oh, whiskey. Yeah, that makes sense. Just kind of like it's this it's this dark, funky groove. Yeah, it's like evil polka. Yes. So this takes place in hell. <laughs> I mean, it's very um, evident from the first line, Mama, we all go to hell. 
And so the mama is the character I was talking about earlier, this mother war. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty much this is him realizing now what what his true destiny is. He's not going to heaven. He's going to hell. And he re- this is like the turning point of the album pretty much. This is kind of like the big middle centerpiece where I guess you could say there's like there's like two turning points, Black Parade being one of them and Mama being the other where the narrative completely shifts at this point. And this is the point where he kind of starts to try and figure out how do I escape this fate? Because I am terrified of the place that I have just ended up at. And he's also starting to really realize now how terrible of a person he's been. And... Um, how not only is he going to this terrible place, but that he completely deserves to be there. Mm. Um, the the things that he's done is not very clear. It's alluded from the fact that it's Mother War that he was a soldier and that he committed some kind of war atrocities, whether or not that's like something that he's doing outside of what he was ordered to do, or if he was ordered to do some some inhumane things or what he would consider to be inhumane or what you know any higher power would whether or not he had was a rogue soldier or was just following orders i don't know but Mm -hmm. um but the kind of just again the whole gist is that you know i'm going to hell oh crap but I think that it, it really captures that just that that haunting evil vibe. Like you've got that you've got in that second verse when he switches to that other persona, and that's the the point where you um you know, you should have raised a baby girl, I should have been a better son is very Pink Floyd. Very yeah, that, uh, that's the line that did it, yeah. Mm-hmm right from the trial Mm. and there's just there's man every time you think you've kind of got a handle on where the song is going it just like takes it up a notch (laughs) and um you've got a female guest vocalist that comes in for a little bit and uh yeah that's liza minnelli uh, explain the significance. Oh, you don't know who Liza Minnelli is? Well, I just want you to explain the significance. I didn't say I didn't. I um, don't know who it is. So, would you would you agree that this has a very like demonic cabaret feel to it? Yes. Well, Liza Minnelli's most famous role is she won an Oscar for playing uh, in the movie Cabaret, where she was a cabaret singer. Yes, indeed, she did, and I could have told you that. So they they wanted to have a voice in there. That, so she was she is speaking as um, as Mother War, mm-hmm. and they wanted to have someone that just had a lot of inherent sadness and 
heaviness in their voice. And yeah. I think that, you know, they absolutely got that with her portrayal there. It's And she's also the voice that's crying at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. Again, there's 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 a commitment that they have to executing their vision that they're going to call up Liza Minnelli and have her do a guest vocal turn on their demonic cabaret song. Did she show up uh, anywhere else in the album? No. Is this it? This is it. Okay. How old were they when they wrote this? <sighs> they were younger than you and me. Older than Grant. I think they were mid-20s. Wow. So it's just again, I you hear a song like this, and to then to just say that they're just an emo band, I think is just like just not at all correct. I take it, back what I said at the beginning of the episode. At the beginning before none of you will hear it, but at the beginning whenever we first got on I said I didn't really like this song. But now hearing everything about it. Because I think my thing was whenever I was listening to it without any context, I was just like, that's a lot. Of, my, I don't yeah. really understand why they're doing all of this stuff. And it just feels like they're just throwing stuff at the wall. And they Have were not listened- throwing stuff at the wall. Have you listened to the wall? No, they're throwing stuff from the wall. Have you, have you listened <laughs> to the wall? Uh, yes. Long ago, okay. Lucas forced me in a very long car ride from a Force. game. Oh yeah, I remember oh that. My God, you forced the wall on him. Of course, he's not gonna like it. Well, like... it's it, I. I say he forced it on me. In in the in the very uh, birthings of this podcast, I, I was the first. I was the first audience to uh, the podcast and understanding why the wall was so influential. And so we listened to the whole entire album on our like hour trip. Okay. Because if you've ever heard the trial, you know, you would kind of understand, like, the feel of it. It's kind of got the same feel, I think. Yeah. You know, especially when he goes to that vocal line, like, you should have been a better son or whatever. Right. Yeah, you should have raised a baby That's girl. So I should have been a better son. Right. And it, and it, it so it's so reminiscent of that song that I think for me, I'm coming with that, that pre um, assumption or pre assumption Mm -hmm. presumption of it being some kind of like dark, almost demonic, very sinister song. And so I pretty much, as soon as he's saying that line, I understood what it was about. Mm -hmm. And before that, I didn't really appreciate the song that much. I was like, what is happening here? But when he sang that, I was like, oh, this is also a, this is also a song. Now I was really impressed with this song. First time I heard her, but again, the more you learn about the album and just the more you listen to it and you kind of start to really pick out what all is going on. This is a song that really just increases in value. The more you listen to it. Is he mm-hmm. like pleading in his verses at the beginning, trying to like squeeze out of it, and then like as he goes more and more and more towards the end of the song, he's realizing that it's inescapable as it as the song progresses. Yeah, it's kind of like there's there's a bit of a um, there's a because I feel like he's like, well, we all 
we're all bad people and we all do this and we all lie and we all deserve the thing and then like as it goes and like he just starts like screaming mm-hmm. you know yeah it's... and like the music is getting less like boom ba, boom ba, boom ba. it's like it's like it like starts there's getting this, really there's a downward dissonant. spiral there's there's a madness yeah. that is taking hold yeah, yeah, I think that there's 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 this realization of, you know, like, my I can't my, talk my way out of this. Yeah, my fate is sealed. And at first it's kind of like it's almost like he's he he arrives in hell and he's kind of like very sheepish just going, "Oh, is this where I think it is?" Oh, oh no. Um and then as the 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 seriousness of the situation continues to be made known to him, he starts getting more anguished and more um, desperate. Dude, and then whenever that choir comes in at the end, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's creepy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, from this point in the album after that, it's now he's kind of, he's kind of like trying to, because originally, again, yeah, up until this point, he is gung-ho ready for what's next. And this is the point where he then finds out what is next. And he's just like, uh, never mind. I don't want this. I need to figure out how do I get out of this fate. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends with those little cabaret violins and it just ends. Mm-hmm. After he just gets done like screaming his guts out. Yeah. So I put this song at number two. On the ranked list, I figured. I the, figured. The... It's got so many different parts to it that are all so good. You can't mm-hmm. help but just again. It. This Where... this is the kind of song that just I think that if you if you have the argument that um, that they're just an emo band, and no other emo band would ever write a song like this. I don't even think an emo. I think emo bands purposefully disown My Chemical Romance so they don't have to live up to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of smart. What a, what they're a, like, no, they're not emo. They're not. They're not emo. Like that's strategic not labeling. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. they're they're not emo. They're not. No. <laughs> yeah, but I've never heard of anyone say that they're not emo. Yeah, I mean. Because they can say whatever say they there. want. They can be in whatever genre they feel like. I mean, I feel like at this point, they've advanced the genre so much that they're in their own league. Yeah, I agree. It's like the same I, with the Beatles, yeah. where it's like, are the Beatles pop? No, they're just the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that that been thrown around about My Chemical Romance, about how they're they're technically emo, but they're really more than that. But I've never understood it until... I, f- I feel like all the greats... Songs. All the greats end up transcending their genre and just it's like they have they don't have the emo sound they just have their own sound mm-hmm. and now people are emulating them and they're they become a catalyst for yeah and so i feel like my chemical romance is just like we are our own sound this is how we sound and we don't copy anybody <laughs> that's yeah. you know? a good way of putting it. and i a lot of bands we've talked about are like that and i just think that you know you think about a song like this this is this would not be written by someone that didn't take risks this is such a risky song to make oh yeah 
like when the, the concept album on a like an emo concept album is just like a crazy like that that even of itself <laughs> yeah you know uh-huh. is respectable yeah an uh, emo concept album that's that's deep that's not about like you know the stereotypical stuff right that's not something that you'd expect mhm so um now we've we've got the final the final song the final chapter and honestly there was just there was no other way that we could end yeah. this set because this is yes. every I, mean, I was like he's either gonna start the set with Welcome to the Black Parade or he's gonna end it with Welcome to mm-hmm. the Black Parade. Oh, there's no you gotta end it with this. Yeah, because I always like to build my sets to have some some emotional um climax and i mean i think this is maybe one of the most cathartic endings to a set that i've ever crafted because especially i mean in the album no it doesn't this is actually the this is the fourth song on the album wow okay um like i said this this the song that comes after this song is i don't love you on the album Hmm. But whenever they play live, this is always the ending song. Oh, yeah. As it should be. Um, Welcome to the Black Parade is, is, in my opinion, the defining song of the emo genre. I when I watched the the music video for it, it's, a, it's interesting how even something like YouTube comments can be an interesting source of information. Well, it's a good mm-hmm. social gauge. It's, it's a good idea to get to know what the, what the fans are saying. And mm-hmm. um, whenever the very first comment that you see is all rise for the emo national anthem. <laughs> and I think that that's the perfect way to describe this song because this 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 is the Bohemian Rhapsody of the 21st century in my opinion. Yeah, the Queen influences. This is where the, this is where the Queen really really becomes powerful. Mm. Um and you and you he shows off his range without showing off his range. Yes, this is a song that comes. When even me that has a very high pitched voice, I have trouble keeping up with how high pitched this song gets. It's not like those high metal, like Rob Halford style. It is pure. Wow, that's a high note. It's so, it's very pure and very powerful. It fits the song, and you don't think about it. You're just like, oh, he's singing that vocal melody. But when you really think about how high he's singing, it's like, wow, he, like, it's just not even a thought there's no like sign of struggle in his voice it's just very pure very just like yeah i can sing this which again is just insane to me that you look at his vocals the album before and he is struggling to hit notes not even anywhere near that Mm -hmm. he did something I wasn't able to find any information about him saying that he got vocal lessons or changed his technique or what because I mean, he had I mean, whatever he did, 
paid off big time because to go from again to not say that something like i'm not okay is a bad vocal it's exactly what that song needs but if you're going to talk purely objectively i mean comparing the vocal technique and range of i'm not okay to um welcome to the black parade it's a monumental step forward. Mm. I I have to think that if you're an MCR fan at that time and you put on Black Parade, he's already showing off that his vocals are have had a big improvement in the song in the beginning songs. But when you get to this song, I cannot imagine thinking hearing this and going, Wow, he has just reached a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And so what is the song actually about? So yeah, there's a story going. Yeah, on. so Gerard has said that he this is his personal belief. This is not just a contrivance for the story. He truly believes that when we die, that the the thing that will take us to the afterlife is some significant memory from your childhood, and that. Mm. Um, you know, something to help guide you. And for him, it's this memory of his father taking him to see a marching band when he was a boy. And um, he just, that's that's kind of, that was the impressionable big moment. And Gerard himself said that that is based off an old memory of his, that he has a significant memory as a child, him and his brother, seeing a marching band and that's kind of like this vivid memory that he had in his childhood and pretty much kind of the whole um the whole song is kind of like he because he talks about these expectations that his father has put upon his life um i think that it's it's meant to be over the top to kind of um parallel the 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 great expectations that all youths have from their parents. Like you would think when, if your father were to say, will you be the savior of the broken, the beaten and the damned? I mean, that's about, Mm -hmm. that's about as big of a calling as anyone could put on your life. Mm -hmm. Imagine now having to live up to that. Which makes sense why the character maybe got in, involved in the military mm-hmm. and as well as feeling at the end of his life that he did not do any of those things he failed to do what his father commissioned him to do yeah, and he's not, he doesn't want to come to the realization that he didn't live up to his father's expectations and that he got off the path so bad uh-huh and i think i think again it's meant to you know symbolize how all of us you know we have this burden of what people expect from us they expect the world from us they tell us you know you have so much potential you could do anything you want and so when you don't um you you know it's very soul crushing mm-hmm and um and so 
you have this you have this black parade that is meeting him at the pier at the turning point of life life and death and you know it's the black parade that is what ultimately takes him down to hell but at this point he still doesn't know that that's where he's going this will carry on is um is actually him talking about carrying on into the afterlife hmm. and so it's 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 kind of like this this push and pull he's it's this super hopeful optimist optim what's the word <laughs> i can't speak right now optimistic uh outlook but at the same time, mm-hmm. like when you look at what's happening, he's getting on the device that takes him ultimately down to hell. He just doesn't realize it yet. He thinks that this black parade is his freedom from all the expectations that's been put upon him. His this 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 savior has come. I'm just a boy, I'm not a hero. You know, he's he's saying I'm only a man. I shouldn't have ever been burdened with this task. And you know, it's almost like the 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 black parade is my ticket out of here, away from this miserable failed life that I've lived. Mm-hmm. And so now, musically, man, we've it's a tour de force. This is this is about as epic of a song as probably you can write. There's a lot of. There's a lot of muse, mm-hmm. I will say. You talk, you talk a lot about how this kind of like the Bohemian Rhapsody of the, of the 21st century. There's a lot of muse for it being a Bohemian Rhapsody because Muse does this thing where they will, and Knights of Sidonia once again comes into play here, is they'll keep a, a theme or a chord progression going throughout a song. And they'll, you know presented in different ways you know they'll have like this vocal melody go over it they'll have this instrument play it you know and it's very much the same way for this song for for most of the song right now i can't think of a single part that doesn't have that that almost like canon and d sounding chord progression oh canon and d that's very interesting it kind of sounds like it it's not exactly the same but I think that there's definitely a lot of like naturally the feel of the song gravitated towards that specific chord progression. Um, and so because it, it sounds very like gothic, uh-huh. but it also sounds very like triumphant when presented in a certain way, the way that they would present it. It actually is the canon in D chord progression. It is perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Toward, well, as they progress through the song, you know, they'll have the the verse uh, melody, especially the, the first verse melody. That's very just kind of like, I don't want to say basic, but compared to the rest of the song, it's pretty basic. Um, and then as you go through the song, it will get more and more complex, more and more complex. And it will do kind of the octavarium thing where it will just build and build and build and build. And it won't ever had there's never really a reset moment but there's so many moments where it just it it releases and it gets bigger and then you think it can't get bigger and then it does it again 
Yeah. Right. It's... And when they finally, when the drums cut out and it's just the bajillion voices and like whatever instruments are happening, that I think is the moment in the set where it, it reaches its catharsis and like the whole set was building towards that moment. Yeah. It's, it's all building towards that, you know, the end of that final chorus and that, that big outro you know that's mm-hmm. that's that is the moment right there so, so yeah it's i mean yeah especially you know you've got that big that big build up and when it does that key change and it goes into the final chorus man <laughs> yes. i actually kind of tear up a little bit just because just musically it's so satisfying i'm just like golly what a freaking song. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ugh, it's just, again, I think that, you know, I don't see how you can hear a song like this and not just be like, you know, this is a great band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to to say that, you know, and that's why, like, whenever you were talking, about, I was just like, man, I'm not looking forward to doing my car. I was just like, oh, I think I think you're going to change your mind. In my defense, I hadn't listened to the songs at that point, okay? So, but once I did, I was like, you know, I, I'm going to have to, you know, go into the episode and say, guys, I was wrong. My Chemical Romance actually is a good band, which I'm saying right now, by the way. (laughs) Hey, guys, Future Grant here. Um, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I I could edit that, re-upload it to the Patreon. I I won't. I see a ton of similarities between this song and Mama. Yeah. Really? In in terms of how they are written, because it seems like they found a good formula. Like, in Mama, it's like, they are emo kind of punk rock musically at their core. Like they'll always open up to the kind of that feel. Yeah. When it does, yeah. When it does that first big open guitar riff. So it's like, that's like, and that drum, that drum fill is so good when it, yeah. Very punk. But that's like the feel. And then for mama, I feel like they were like, let's, do this weird cabaret thing and so they can do that as long as they are returning to the punk rock feel and then in this it's like ooh, well i want it to be like a like a march and so how can we do like a canon and d march thing and still like end up tying it around in the chorus to like to like punk Mm -hmm. and they can just do it really well they just build it up in a way where every single like like even though they use almost the exact same formula of like building it the entire time and kind of going in and out between kind of their A style and B style. Like I don't care because every time that they, they go back to the punk thing, I'm like, yeah, I I needed that. Which is again, that's <laughs> like, that's I, the I thing about them I, that just you know it makes it them. Yeah. So it's good songwriting just to be able to kind of go in and out of your own genre. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, all right, fine. I change my favorite song. <laughs> this change my favorite song. This is my favorite, and obviously, you know, we knew that. I changed my favorite song to "Mama." Oh, what? I do. Okay. What? I change it. That was wow. that was a change. I change yeah, it. You, you know, it's okay. It's okay. He picked the number two song, and it's his favorite. That's not. That's not a complete loss. At least he didn't pick one of the bottom six. Either. It's it's really close between um, this song and Mama for my favorite, but to me, there's just there's just something about you know Black Parade that it's just like it's it's too grand to ignore. Yeah, I I as a musician, I think I appreciate the different parts of Mama and the different like modes and themes and all the things that are happening and the fact that it can create such a strange mood. You know, that's very unique and very fresh. But at the same time, as a listener, I think emotionally, I have to go with Welcome to the Black Parade just because it, it has so much, like, there's so much yeah. going I think I, I think Welcome to the Black Parade, there's a reason why it's the anthem song. Because it sounds like the anthem, yeah. There's everything about it just points to it being the technical best song. I think I'm going. I'm gonna switch. I'm switching to Mama just because there's an emotion that they create with Mama that is so unique, right? And is so like whoa, like I've like that. That kind of storyline has been done of like it gets more and more panicky as it goes. But like, just the way that they pulled it off, like I like that's gonna be something where it's like I remember that. And the I'm I'm kind of frustrated right now in a weird kind of way because I wish we would have done an entire episode on the Black Parade album so that I could know how the story ends for this well, person. Well, now because mm-hmm. I've ended it with Mama, I've ended with Mama, and now I'm just like, well, he's just in hell now. Well, I did tell you how it ends. Well, you just have to listen. Um, it's open to interpretation. Yeah. That's how I it think ends. either way, you know that it's a happy ending. Just whether or not, what that happy men ending exactly means is, is not entirely clear. But I think also one of the things that this can be do is it's now going to drive you to the album. It's definitely done that. Man, there's just there's still so many great songs on that about. album. Um, Teenagers. Famous Last Words, This Is How I Disappear, um, Cancer, oh, Cancer is such a good song. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, House of Wolves is a ridiculous song. And I, I will say that uh, Welcome to the Black Parade reminded me a lot of Atulamont. Hmm. And the fact that they're both very obvious, uh, obviously about death. And it's obviously about, like, from the perspective of the one who is dying or is dead, mm-hmm. right? And kind of telling this, this imagery, sort of, and being very at peace with it as if death is, like, 
the final like triumphant moment. They're also both the fourth thong, uh, thong, the fourth song on their respective albums. Now, I, I, I say fourth but... song a little globally because this is that's counting if you were to count the end and dead as one song. So it's technically fifth, but it's the right, fourth, okay. you know, significant musical moment in the album. Right, right, but. In a weird way, neither one of them, especially, and Lucas, you keep disagreeing with me, but I like the United Abominations version better. But both Welcome to the Black Parade and that version of Atulamond are very emotionally driven. You can describe what's happening musically. You can talk about the musical moments the chord progressions what moments you know specifically have this kind of feel and whatever but you can't get a good judge until you listen to it and i always talk about this i try to keep myself from saying this every episode but you guys who are listening have got to listen to the songs makes no sense for you to listen to us talk about it for like two hours now without listening to the song so you have to Definitely, if you have five minutes of your time, listen to Welcome to the Black Parade. It will change your perspective on the emo genre. Preferably, you should listen to the whole set. But, you know, if you only got five minutes, which you definitely have more because you're listening to me <laughs> say this now and we're two hours in. So. Well, that sounds, that sounds anyway, like a good to go say ahead that. and make our next break. So when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts. So stay tuned. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are on our final segment, but before we get there, we just ended our uh, playlist segment with our usually six songs, but this week we had seven songs from My Chemical Romance with The End, Dead, Na Na Na, I'm Not Okay, I Don't Love You, Mama, and finally, Welcome to the Black Parade. And now it is time for our last segment final thoughts so grant this is a doozy because me and you coming into this we we had we had strong opinions yep i yeah and it's not so much of a doozy like to say this it's more of a doozy to make this sound fresh because i feel like this this has been a running theme of the episode of like just us talking is the fact that we talked in it wasn't our last final thoughts but or not final thoughts um after our segment but when lucas announced that we were doing my chemical romance i know both you and i were like there's no way like there's no way we're gonna like this stuff and so then i actually listened to it and i was like wow like there's some serious musicality going on here like you can't discount an entire genre ever and I think Lucas made that very clear in like our first segment is that like you can't blanket an entire genre of just being bad, right? Maybe you can say that about artists because there are some people who just, you know, write music that you're just not going to like, like, you know what I'm saying? But every genre has its greats and I think emos included and um, My Chemical Romance is definitely up there and 
it's nice to have such a good introduction to something that I've never, ever even considered listening to. I've never even thought about, like, My Chemical Romance was not on my radar of being good music. I was talking to one of my friends um, earlier today how we're going to record a My Chemical Romance podcast episode. And he's like, this is the good music podcast. Why do we have My Chemical Romance? But I'm like, no, you should actually listen to it. Like, it's actually good. And so kind of this idea that, like, every genre can have something that's new and fresh and good for everyone is is kind of nice. And I think that that's a reassurance for this podcast going forward is that we're eventually going to run out of the genres that we have stuck to thus far. And going into different genres is something that's a little bit scary, but it's very rewarding. And this is a good indicator of, I think, the fact that that this podcast can still keep going, even if we're going to run out of, you know, like metal and rock bands to talk about. So I enjoyed I enjoyed this episode um, all in all. And Lucas, you have successfully changed my mind once again. So congratulations to you. Is it getting old? Oh, thank you. I bet it's getting old. No, it's 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 a new exciting victory every week. Oh man! <laughs> but uh, no, great episode. I will be looking forward to more My Chemical Romance. I'm definitely going to go listen to Welcome or the Black Parade album. Uh, so, final thought over. I think for me, I've gone through like it's like. This the I've had like three different moments, four different moments, like just today with my chemical romance. Where, really? <laughs> where? Because I, I was re-listening to them. Because I kind of listen to them like kind of in the background. Like I'll be playing video games or something, and I'll be listening to it, and I'll or I'll be in the car, and I'll remember oh, I should probably get some passes in or or uh, go to a song I don't remember. But today, like, it's usually like 30 minutes before the show, I really sit down and I'm like, all right, it's it's time to, like, concretely think about what my favorite songs are and my opinions. And right before this 30 minutes, I listened through and I was like, okay, these songs are fine. These songs are not fine. My Chemical Romance is, is good, but... And I literally... I, I got on in the intro and I literally told Lucas, I was like, I don't like mama and I don't like, I don't love you. And my chemical romance is fine. It's not my cup of tea, you know, kind of just being that way about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody and saying, I will never listen to them ever again. This is probably one of those bands where I listen to them for the podcast. And then I'll probably never listen to them ever again after this, just because it's, they're not bad. I just don't like it. You know, he, he compared it to a food from a foreign country. Yeah, I, it's like you go to like you you just go to a country and they have this weird local food, and you're like, I'll try that, and then you try it, and you're like, oh, with a weird taste, it's not terrible, but I'm definitely not gonna learn how to cook it and eat at my house. Right, but if you come back, you're gonna you're gonna make sure to get some, you know, and so that's kind of where I stood and I was fine with standing. And I feel like a lot of people that are listening right now probably feel that way 
about either my chemical romance or I was picking on Lucas because like I like rap and I feel like Lucas kind of right now and Grant feel this this same way about rap that I did about my chemical romance. <laughs> Where I'm just like, it's probably good, but I, it's not for me. Right. And then as we again, as we always as always happens, I learn about the band, learn about the genre, learn about the time period, learn about what the songs are actually about figure out that oh it's actually really good because the music supports the lyrics and oh my gosh this is actually an interesting storyline and wow they're actually talking about some deep content and then my favorite song is now one of the songs that i hated whenever i was listening to it earlier today mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just such an amazing reversal because it's, like what, yeah. yeah and so now i'm i'm like sitting here and i'm just like and and I think the the biggest thing that pisses me off about this whole thing is that I <laughs> literally said, I literally said I am not going to listen to them anymore. And then after we got t- done talking about Mama, I was pissed because I was like, dang it! Now I want to go listen to the rest of that stupid album just to figure out all how all the storyline plays together and see how they pulled that off. Which I, I guess I'm not mad about it. But I was just like, dang, I'm really gonna have to eat my own foot on this one in the in the after hours. <laughs> and so yeah, it's funny because the because uh, Mama was the turning point in the album, but it was sort of also the turning point in your mind. It was because literally, like even as we were going through the song, I was like, okay, no, 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 that's cool. I'm not okay. I already understood that one. I don't love you. I'm still kind of juries out on on. I don't love you for me, Mm -hmm. but, but whenever we started talking about mama, I was like, Oh, these guys are actually like the real freaking deal to, to do this. The real freaking deal. And so now I'm, I'm at a place where if my chemical romance released another album and I saw that they released another album, I would listen to it. Really? If, if I saw that there was a 2021, uh, my Chemical Romance album that came out, I would listen to it. I would you know, at least listen to the album one time through, just based on our conversation today. I'll be sure to uh, call them up and let them know that that <laughs> I need to release another album so you can listen to it. And so, but yeah, I think it goes back to the point where where hope and hopefully everyone that's listening to this podcast is kind of gaining a more meta understanding of what good music is and that it's not genre exclusive. And because we're doing a Miles Davis episode soon, Bruce Springsteen, everybody loves Bruce Springsteen. So that's not going to mm-hmm. be a problem. But even for me coming in, like whenever we were doing, gosh, I don't even remember the their name, Opeth. Mm-hmm. I was worried coming mm-hmm. into Opeth because... I'm like I'm like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of of really heavy metal. Like I listened to Dream Theater whenever I was in middle school, and then I kind of like completely switched to jazz. Man, you know? Dream Theater is the heaviest stuff you listen to. You are that's that's legitimately true. Wow, Dream Theater is the heaviest thing that I've ever listened to. There's heavy Dream Theater, but it's not. It's nothing compared in in comparison. Nothing compared to, to like, yeah, yeah it's like, just okay. the tip of the iceberg of metal and so that's why I, I like go into Opeth and I remember saying like I hate I hate um, I know not to say Screamo but I hate 
like metal that just yells and and screams and does all that stuff and now i'm like oh, i don't really if it's used good mm-hmm. and it's the same with it's like if someone said do you like emo i'd be like if it's good do you like metal well if it's good i like it do you like rap if it's good you know <laughs> i think now it's just at the point where it's like do you like hamburgers well yeah if it's good i don't like a crappy hamburger yeah like I'm not gonna listen to anything that's bad, but I think broadening the horizon and and opening up other genres. Like we were talking about country in the after hours, and I was like, even with country, I've had some people introduce me to some country music, and I was just like, you know what? It's good. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be kind of tropey in its worst moments, but you know, so can every other genre on the planet. Hmm. So, Lucas, I I give props to you on your insight into good music. Oh, thank you. This is a – I am on this journey as well. Um, I did not pick a Mike doing a My Chemical Romance episode because I was a fan. I picked them knowing really nothing about them. I wanted to do something again, kind of how you're saying, uh, Grant, about how we're. I won't. I don't think I would ever say that we were going to ever run out of rock and metal we're gonna, we're gonna artists to cover. We're going to oversaturate. I think that's a better way to say it. It's just. It's not. It's going to get a little monotonous. It's going to kind of start to blend together, and as well as you know our listeners listen to a wide variety of music as well. And, you know, who's, we might gain some new fans by stepping into some new genres and then, you know, hopefully catch their ear on maybe some of the stuff that we're already really well versed in, you know, say we do a country music episode and they listen to it because we're talking about something that they already are familiar with. And then they're going like, huh, what's this Metallica that yeah. they have an episode <laughs> on? And, you know, it's it's been really interesting. I was really scared to kind of start jumping out because I was just like, oh, man. Especially because I knew I was going to have to eat my words on some things, on some things that I've made very... Um, aggressive statements on my opinions on certain genres and artists. And I know that that's probably going to continue to happen. I know all the, I'm afraid of all the terrible things I've said about Green Day are going to come back to haunt me whenever we do an episode. I'm just like, crap, I like (laughs) them now. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I felt that 2020 has been the year where I really started to see a shift in the way that I'm even looking at music. I've found that I've, I'm starting to become much more open-minded. Um, and there's certain things that I'm just like, man, you know what? I'm, I dig this. And I'm not afraid to say that I dig it anymore. Like some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about in our next episode, like even six months ago, I would have never even remotely said that I like this music because of just my opinions that I've had of it before and, you know, just all that stuff. So 
Um, this wasn't intentional. The reason I picked them was because I was like, you know what? We don't do 2000s that often. We kind of tend to veer more towards old artists. I want to have, you know, I guess you can't really say they're new anymore because the 2000s are, are getting further and further away. Um, but, you know, they're new-ish. And, you know, emo, we haven't done an emo band before. I was just like, you know what, this could be a fun little experiment. I pretty much started researching it on faith, hoping that the music would be good. <laughs> like you had heard that they were good and you were just going off of the faith of the common public. Yep, I was just like, well, I I better hope that this is worth it. And immediately, because the first thing I did was I put on Black Parade. I was just like, okay, let me listen to the seminal record and see. And as I was about halfway through the record, I was just like, this was a great decision. <laughs> um, so for me, this was one of my favorite episodes probably I've done all year. And really even ever, because... While it's really fun to do the episodes on the artists that I love, there's just a joy about um, getting to delve deep into something that is brand new and that you love. Well, that's me and Grant's experience almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of it's, – it's, it's nice to kind of, you know, have a bit of a different perspective. I'm not – I'm not coming into the research as an authority, but rather I'm just like, I'm learning. It's the, it was really a very similar experience with our Aretha Franklin episode. I like knew nothing before we did that episode. I was just like, I know she's important. I know she's good. Let's find out mm -hmm. why. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, same thing. Um, I'm finding that I'm just I'm selecting more artists. Uh, our Miles Davis episode is going to be like that. Um, really, even our Bruce Springsteen. I'm really not a Bruce Springsteen aficionado at all. That's going to be a really interesting episode to do. Um, it's it's just there's there's an extra level of joy getting to. Um, to discover a new favorite like not only will i say that after this whole process i've become you know i would say i like them i would count myself a fan like not only would i pick up a new album if they released it i'd go see them live if they came really here. yeah because i what i always include in my research a um, and i didn't get to really talk about this much during the other segments but i always try and watch a video of them live man from what i watch they are an incredible live group and gerard is an incredible front man and so that would be a really cool experience to get to see them live and i would do it so i was not in the initial stages of vitriol that you guys originally were in but I definitely was not a fan or a advocate for them I was indifferent I was just kind of like oh sure we'll see what happens and now I'm just like man this is this is one of my 
favorite episodes I've probably ever done. I I don't know if vitriol is the right word, but I certainly would have been okay had I never heard of them again. Yeah. So I I guess I should say I wasn't at that level right. or Ethan where you're just like, man, why why would you do that? <laughs> I trust you. But... Yeah. You did give me the benefit of the doubt whenever I said, because at that point I'd already done my work and I was just like, oh man, it's just you guys wait until you hear this. And I remember whenever I said it to you, Grant, uh, that we were doing, you were just like, no! And I was just like, have you heard the songs? And you were like, yes, I've heard every single song a million times. Well, okay. I've heard every part of the songs a million times <laughs> because that's the music that my sister would do homework to when she was in like high school. So technically I'm so, right, but I didn't hear it all. In co- I think it's like the Michael Jackson thing where it's like, I didn't like man in the mirror and I didn't really like black welcome to the black parade. Cause I had heard like parts of it before. And I was like, that's kind of emo, you know, but that's when, kind of when emo. you like, when you put it in the context of like, this is what it's about. This is the album that it's on. This is the part that it plays. Here are some songs that emotionally proceed before it. So you can have a great cathartic moment. And it's like that kind of thing is the stuff that makes you like fall in love with songs that you previously like hated. I also feel like there is some Mm -hmm. gatekeeping with like, like for me, like as a musician and someone that is trying to like, like things that are sophisticated, you know? It feels like an L on the board whenever, like, and I I don't feel this way now, but I feel like for a lot of up-and-comers and and people that are more, that feel more sophisticated, they don't want to admit that My Chemical Romance is good because, like, people that aren't musicians like it. Yep. Because, like, in a weird way, I could be like, well, Grant's sister likes it and how if she likes it like she's not even appreciating it for all it's worth and so like there's no way i can like it if like a commoner can like it you know i mean your sister your sister might be like a musical prodigy but she never really tended to to the musical side of art but like in terms of like all the weird kids that like my chemical romance you you like it's like you you think that someone like that couldn't appreciate right the, the depth and no, and somebody whether they appreciate the depth or not i don't think it matters yeah at some point you just have to say good music is good music it's good music and i think people subconsciously trend towards good music and even if they mm-hmm. don't know exactly why they love it, and even if they don't know the storyline, and even if they don't know whatever, I don't think that stops it from being good or bad. And I think at the end of the day, people gravitate towards what gives them the emotions that they want musically. That is, that is true. And so, even though they're not diving into everything, I think we can all agree that My Chemical Romance can create an emotional, like they can make you feel how they want. All the people, all the music that is good and we've talked about, they can make you feel what they want you to feel. And conveying emotions like that 
being able to do it so seamlessly. Yeah, that's what puts you on top. Is kind of the kind of the whole point of art, really, if you break yep. it down. So, yeah, what a what a loaded final. That's probably the most in depth final thoughts that we've ever given. That was really a lot. We're getting better because we're we're, we're really. We we're getting philosophical. All, all of our final it's thoughts are getting of, more philosophical as we go. Yeah. And I my like obligatory uh, at least I didn't have to give my obligatory don't do drugs kids. You did yeah. just regular Which, guys. I mean, I guess technically you just did. Well, well yeah. I mean you still shouldn't do drugs, but at least I didn't I'm glad in this episode I didn't have to be like and then the band completely died because we could we the could band throw got a little to mess. We could throw a little spin on it and be like, Don't do drugs adults yeah adults. no they don't yeah. they don't get enough attention keeping them from drugs that's right you have kids adults well for for everyone that has listened to all of this thank you so much um if you want to continue to support the podcast uh check out all, all of our episodes we have new episodes coming out every week every monday 9 a.m central and um next week we're going to be doing something special normally this is when we would do one of our um our music appreciation or music history um episodes but we're taking a break on that because next week is the last week of 2020 and so i thought that it would be a good time for us to just kind of do a rewind of the year kind of look at some music that has come out talk about you know what happened this year because it was a weird year and it was definitely weird for the music as well so um make sure that you uh tune in for that we'll still have songs that we pick and all of that it'll just be it'll be like if we're doing a music history episode for this year the history of 2020 (laughs) so very recent history and um if you check out the links in the description, one of them takes you to Spotify where you can listen to all these songs. Please listen to the songs, even if you are a big NCR fan and you're just like, Psh, I know these songs already. You haven't heard them in this order. And there's just something about the order that just kind of gives the songs a little bit of an extra punch. So make sure you go check those out. And then um, the other link will take you to our Patreon page where you can get access to early and exclusive content, including our After Hours episode that we are about to uh, record once we do this. And um, make sure to contact us on social media. Something that I think that we're going to start doing next year is having at least one episode every month that is chosen by you guys. So we're going to give the people what they want. So if you would like to have your recommendation, uh, make it onto an episode, be sure to uh, message us and we'll, uh, we'll put it into the, into the schedule. And, um, Leave us a review. Leave us uh, a rating. It helps us with uh, getting kind of higher up on the lists. And that's it. I'm, I'm Lucas. Great. 
I meet him. 